Bigger. Bigger. Better. Better. Bolder. Bolder. The cold, hard truth is taking talk to the next level. Right here on Bobo 89.1 FM, Cayman's Community Radio. We are still spilling the tea and committed to being part of the change that Cayman so desperately needs. Join Sandy Hill weekdays from 7.30 a.m. for Premier Access, Cayman Voices, Truthful Thursdays, and much more. Cayman's number one talk show is now bigger, bigger, better, better, bolder, bolder, and more than talk. Getting results with hot topics, consumer reports, court exposés, and more. I've come to set the record straight. I've come to shine the light on you Let me introduce myself I am the cold heart truth Now, from the CMR Bigger, bigger, better, better, bolder, bolder the cold, hard truth is taking talk to the next level. Right here on Bobo 89.1 FM, Cayman's Community Radio. We are still spilling the tea and committed to being part of the change that Cayman so desperately needs. Join Sandy Hill weekdays from 7.30 a.m. for Premier Access, Cayman Voices, Truthful Thursdays, and much more. Cayman's number one talk show is now bigger, bigger, better, better, bolder, bolder, and more than talk. Getting results with hot topics, consumer reports, court exposés, and more. I've come to set the record straight. I've come to shine the light on you Let me introduce myself I am the cold heart truth Now, from the CMR studio in Grand Cayman Live, direct It's the cold hard truth Now, now Join the conversation on 345-936 2626. That number again is 345 936 2626.
Good morning. How's everybody doing? Happy Tuesday. As you guys can see, I was busy doing a few little things in the background. Hope that you guys are well. Um, let's start talking. We got lots to talk about. As usual, beautiful day here in the Cayman Islands. I'm looking at the clouds to tell you your weather. <laughs> I could just go read the official weather for you, but hey, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. Hmm. Partly cloudy skies this morning, yes, uh, with a chance, a small chance of rain, I would say probably about eh, maybe 15%. Other than that, folks, you're going to have an absolutely gorgeous day, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the core hard truth, honey chill. How y'all doing? All right, let me just see what's going on around these parts. Who do we have with us this beautiful morning? Big shout out to all of our radio listeners. Hope that you guys are doing fantastical. Uh, we are great here in our little part of the rock, our little part of paradise. Don't worry. What's up, folks? I'm sending y'all the links right now. Mm -hmm. Y'all like Sandy, are you there? Where's my morning link? Somebody messaged me. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know who it is. Someone messaged me a couple of days ago asking me to add someone to the WhatsApp group. I think I said, okay. And then I haven't added them. So message me again, because I've completely forgotten who that was. Oh boy. You know, getting that kind of senior brain these days, honey chill. Um, I know it was a man that they asked to be added, I think. I'm about 80% sure it was a man. And I think one of my Stephanie's sent it. So if you're one of the Stephanies on my list and you sent me a request to add someone, I resend it. I think I know which Stephanie now that I'm thinking about it, but just to make sure, resend it to me, honey chill. All right. Good morning. My hair is looking a little bit crazy today. Excuse the crazy look. It's time for a, a visit <laughs> to get it done. So I will go tomorrow and see Miss Rocio. All right. Um, let me see which beautiful folks are joining us on the live stream and saying good morning. We have Miss Vernita, of course. She was up at 719. Miss Vernita, you were up a little bit late this morning. Most times I see your message coming in at six o'clock. Uh, Marshall is here. Diamond Princess. Siobhan, beautiful good morning to you, my dear. Ervalyn is in the house. I saw your message, Ervalyn. She's like, uh, all points bulletin, all points bulletin, all points bulletin. Where is Sandy Hill, please? All points bulletin. Um, I got your message loud and clear. Let, let's do a little megaphone. All points bulletin. We are looking for Sandy Hill this morning. Please report to aisle number five. You've got to pick up Walmart special. Pick up at aisle number five. Thank you very much, madam. All right. We like to have fun here. Don't y'all love a little bit of laugh and a little bit of fun? Who likes to laugh? Give me a call. 936-BOBO is the telephone number. Y'all be so serious all the time. And listen, we got a lot, we got a lot of serious things to talk about. But in the middle of the seriousness, I like to interject a little bit of laughter. What's life without it? My goodness. Imagine if we were serious all the time. Ooh, who wants that? Y'all would be so boring. Uh, Miss Norma, good morning. How are you? Miss Morna, Nor Norma and Morna, right here. Look at this. We got a person who likes to laugh in the mornings. Good morning, caller. <laughs> good morning. 
Yes, of course. Trust me. Because I was just laughing just now when you were um, doing the thing over the mic. I was like, oh my God, this is, like, is going to be a crazy day. Ooh, why not, right? Get ready for it. Yes, Buckle up. Put on your seatbelts. Yes, man. And you take care, okay? Yes. Um, listen, you. send me a WhatsApp message. I'm going to give you a $50 gift card to Foster's today just because sure, you're beautiful. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. All right. All right, my dear. You see yeah. that that's what that's what happens when you laugh and have a good time. You're rewarded. Things just fall into your lap. I love it. Miss Lorna, good morning. Now listen to these names. I had Norma, Morna, and Lorn Morna. Hold on. Norma, Morna, and Lorna. All back to back. <laughs> Woo. Try saying their names together as a tongue twister. The beautiful Miss Brenda Ebanks is in the house. Patricia, oh yeah, somebody else feeling the positive vibes this morning. Good morning, caller. Good morning, Sandy Dexter here. How are you? Hello, Mr. Dexter. How you doing? Um, I was looking at the picture of the girlfriend of the professor at uh, St. Matthews. I thought I was looking at Michael Jackson, but I thought he was dead. <laughs> you are too bad, but I know what you mean. <laughs> yes, they have a similar nose job. They must have used the same plastic surgeon. <laughs> And yes, point, point, point men, taken. And for men that is out there thinking the wives don't have anything to, anything to do, this is a bit of advice to them. Uh-huh. While the wife is out mowing the lawn, do not ask them what is for supper. Say that again. Why while the wife is mowing the lawn, while, don't ask her. While the wife is out there <laughs> mowing mowing the lawn. Oh my gosh. Don't ask them what the what is there for what supper. What is for supper, right? Oh yeah, good one, good one. Thank and, you. Yes, sir. And one, and one more. Mm-hmm. I went to a, I went to a psychiatrist yesterday. The psychiatrist told me I was a, had a split personality. <laughs> he charged me. Yeah. And I I told him uh, and, they, and they said uh, it would be a hundred and sixty dollars. I gave him I gave him eighty dollars and told him to find the eighty dollars from the other idea. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's that's a good one, Dexter. Anyway, I love the jokes this morning. You're gonna get yourself a gift card too. Look at that. <laughs> Have a beautiful day. Uh, laughter is the most beautiful thing you can Absolutely. do. Absolutely, I agree a thousand percent. Have a good you one. Know, sometimes you can give money to a person, uh-huh. and they'll find a way to spend it. Yes. You can give them the first thing in the morning. You said like a thousand dollars. You split that from ten hundred dollar bills. Uh huh. You give that person that hundred dollars. I bet you by midday they have spent that. Yes. But if you tell a good joke with a good punch, they can keep laughing for days on end. They'll keep laughing and they'll use it up. Absolutely. It's always the best medicine. It's always improves your your face value. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you All so right. much. Appreciate it. Well, lots of callers are calling in this morning. Hold on here now, honey chair. Let me see. For some is the call waiting working? Because I see people calling, but I can't grab them. Good morning, caller. How you doing? Blessed. Good morning, lovely son. Yes, morning. <laughs> How are you? Walmart, Mr. Dexter, here I come. Oh, yes. I'm feeling you. I'm feeling <laughs> you. How are you doing today? You having a good day? <laughs> 
I'm doing I'm doing great. You're blessed. Just waiting for you. Come on and it's all good. We're blessed. All thank right. you so much. I, I'm gonna get you a little gift card too, honey chill. All oh, right. Thank today. you so much. Yes, I'm feeling generous and happy today. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I gotta make sure I write down these numbers, child, because I'd be the worst. I'd be like, Yeah, you're gonna get a gift card and then I'll be forgetting who called and who I promised and oh Lord. So let me write them down, honey chill. All right. And you got to WhatsApp me your names, too. Good morning, caller. Welcome to the program. Good morning. I love to laugh. Hi, honey. You love to laugh? Yeah. What's the best <laughs> joke you've heard in a while? Have you heard a good joke lately? <laughs> the one that the man just said. The, the one personality. Yeah. personality. That one. one. He paid half and the right? personality paid the other half. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, I really, uh, I really like that one. That one is pretty funny. Um, yes, Carla, I'm going to hook you up a little prize pack, too. Don't you worry. Yeah, okay. All right. Everybody call me today to say, boy, when Sandy feeling generous, you better try and you better call a quick time. Morning, caller. Morning, Sandra. How are you, honey? I am feeling great this morning. I just want to let you know that I love mm -hmm. to laugh because if yes. I don't laugh, I'm going to cry. You and understand? I right now. Exactly. <laughs> I feel but Mr. you. Dexter got some good jokes. I, I know. I, lo I loved I loved that. That was uh that was really, really funny. Today's yes. gonna be a beautiful day, Sandra. Have I a tell good you. one in the name of the Lord. But thank you so much. And I'm gonna hook you up with a little gift card too. All y'all gonna be going fosters here this morning. Wow, when are we gonna be shopping next week, should I? <laughs> <laughs> All right, honey. Have right, a good Sandy, one. Thank you. you All too. right, stay blessed. What a beautiful day. Miss Patricia's in the chats. We've got Miss Juanita, Charlotte joining us in Scotland, Olivia, Felicia, Miss Doreen. Good morning. Good morning. Luis, Buenos Dias. Paul, all the way from the beautiful island, he says, good morning from uh, your cousins to the north at Bermuda. Good morning. Good morning, cousin. I got a little something flying around here. It's not a mosquito. It's one of those other little flies, but boy, they can be annoying too. I still slap him. All right. Leroy's in the house. He says, what's boiling in his ginger tea? Ginger, what? In the tea, ginger, peppermint, or bisse? Which flavor is bisse? I don't know nothing but no bisse, honey chill. Let me tell, I don't even know what flavor I got. I have no clue. This could be, let me take a sniff. It kind of smells like, hmm, I don't know what this is. Not peppermint for sure. Um, And the little uh, message this morning in the tea bag says, live consciously. Is that consciously? Let me make sure my, my four eyes consciously. Yeah. Live consciously. I love it. That's the only way to be living around here, chill. All right, Stephen, joining us from the UK. Leroy says, you know, bossy for poison. Bisses for poison. What What is bisse? I don't know what tea that is, honey, chill. Um, what happened? We can't see your face. Don't worry, Miss Morning. You see me now, don't you? Oh, yeah. Miss Ervelyn is here. Aliano. Yes. Iva's in the house. Stephanie, was it you, Stephanie, that sent me a message to add somebody to the WhatsApp group? If you did, resend it for me this morning, please. I remember vaguely seeing the message and responding, and then I know I didn't do it. So resend it. Barbara, Mark is here. Amigo Esleño. Buenos dias, amigo. Como estas? Uh, we have Olive. You ever feel like... Y'all know me and my, my little Spanish now. Hold on now. Let's back it up. You know, um, that little, what's that little cartoon character called? 
She's the one who goes on adventures. Dora, Dora the Explorer. Yeah, yeah, her. So um, I Dora has a thing where she speaks in Spanish sometimes. Is that her regular show or is that the Spanish version I've been watching? But anyway, I've seen a couple episodes where she's like speaking in Espanol and she'll be like, hola, como estas? Like it's really exaggerated, but she's so cute. Little Dora the Explorer and her little monkey. Miss Olive is in the house. Miss Morna says, but you're always blocking. We're afraid to laugh sometimes. Don't don't be telling no untruths on me. Now you're not, Miss Morna. Come on now. You better behave yourself. Ciao. Um, I'm not always blocking people. In fact, I seldom block, block people. The way y'all be going on, some of y'all need to be blocked more often. Hmm. But anyway, I seldom block people. I can count on one hand the number of people that have been blocked because like during the show, like CMR, because it really hasn't been that many. Jonathan, Jonathan, and Jonathan. Who else have I blocked? I haven't even blocked um what his name is um the next little one that be getting all up in his feelings with his badness oh wayne i haven't blocked wayne yet i got a lot of patience until it runs out <laughs> and then you're done good morning to the beautiful miss bonnie natasha's here um leroy says that's why he stays in the back of the classroom he don't want to get blocked andrea's in the house mr good looks says swanky on deck yesterday wasn't as bitter sweet as i thought but it was very informative we give it to you whether it's sweet, sour, or in between. All right. Uh, Mark said, yes, try to say those names five times together. Miss Sue had a birthday on Friday. We didn't get to in person wish her a happy birthday, but I did a little recorded segment. Happy birthday, Miss Sue. I hope that you had a wonderful uh, birthday weekend. We know it's challenging. This is Miss Sue's first birthday without her husband in some 50-something years. So you got to imagine how challenging that must have been. But we know all the grandkids and kids and everybody was there for you, the great-grands. So we still hope that you got to um, enjoy it. So Strong Wilt Wilt says, good morning, honey. Chill. Happy Tuesday. God bless you all. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, Leroy says, no, that means suspension or expulsion. Yep, yep. Miss Dorothy McLeod is with us. Uh, we're going to get to that here in a second, Leroy. Yes, we've got some condolences to put out there. Felipe Ethel is also here. Uh, Marshall joining us from North Carolina says, you get a gift card. You get a gift card. You get a gift card. We got the beautiful Melanie who is watching us, and she had a laugh too. She's like, you get a card, car, and you get a car. She says, yeah, boy, that sounds like your kind of show. If I made you laugh, I want a, pr a prize too. Thanks. <laughs> y'all not, y'all too, y'all too, too bad. No, sir. Um, uh, somebody sent me a voice note. Am I supposed to play that on air? Hold on now. Because some of y'all be sending me voice notes during the show that's actually not intended for the show. And sometimes I don't know. And I'd be like, can I play it? Next thing you know, it's full of profanity or something private. I'm like, oops. Uh, Latoya, good morning. Nathan is here. So good to see you. Good morning, Nathan. Uh, Darlene says, Bessie is for poison. What is it? It's a tea that you drink if somebody poisoned you? Oh, geez, I'm peace. You better try and figure that one out. Wee Wee, good morning. Aw, Wee Wee's profile picture is this beautiful little dog. Looks like a shampoo. So cute. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Latoya says, this is the first time on your program. 
Girl, Latoya, you have been missing out, honey. Chill. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm. Latoya, send me a WhatsApp message, 9362626. I'm going to hook you up with a little something, something this morning. First time on the show? Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's hard to believe that some people may not have even heard of our program, but, you know, it's a big world out there and a small world all at the same time. Good morning, caller. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Busy is something. Something look like um like a nut, like a nutmeg, but it uh-huh. little it got different shape. It's not wrong. It kind of I'm going to grade it. And uh-huh. it, but when you get barracuda poison, like fish poison oh. and things, it goes for that. And some people I shouldn't say this on the thing, but uh-huh. they also use it when. They're on drugs and they're going to get a test. They say, take it out your system right away. <laughs> mm. yes, so um, this is a plant? It's some kind of plant? It, it's uh, Well, it's a nut. It comes from Jamaica. I had it because I had a whole bottle of it because um, they say it goes for barracuda, like fish poison and stuff. People drink it. It, it okay. you grate it and it be like a powder, like how you would mix Milo or something, and you mix it in. And how do you spell what, it? Is it B E S S I or Y? I, I think it's B I S S Y. I'm not sure. B I S S Y. Visit it. Yeah, look like that might be. I think it's spelled with an I. I'm not sure. B I S S Y. Got it. And then when you grate it, it be brown. It look it's a brown powder. Okay, busy from the cola nuts. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's from a nut. Yeah, it's like a, like mm. a it looks kind of sim, similar to a nut, but bigger. Oh. And then it got like a funny shape, like a look like how on them, you know, them them little orange pear candies, the little candy that you buy that shape, like, like a, it, it shape something like that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, honey child. I appreciate it. I only know, and I only know you from Jamaica because them girls used to bring it. I don't know that you get it anywhere else, maybe, but... Okay, I got a picture right here now. Thank you. I appreciate the information. So the things you learn every single day, my darlings. Um, Beautiful, beautiful. They've got the Busy. It's from the Cola Nuts. Never really heard of it before, to be honest. But here you go. Um, Known as Busy in Jamaica, the Cola Nuts are commonly used to increase energy and flavor popular soda beverages. Oh, in Nigeria, the nut is used in traditional medicine and holds an important role at weddings, naming ceremonies, and funerals. Check that out. It's been a staple as an indigenous medicinal resource in Jamaica since it was introduced in the 18th century. And it's typically ingested as a tea and sweetened with sugar or honey. In the old days, grated bisi and ginger were added to white rum for medicinal purposes. Okay. So here's what they claim about medicinal purposes. It says busy can increase metabolism by as much as 118% and makes the body feel fuller longer when hunger pain, with hunger pangs. An increase in metabolism gives individuals greater energy and aids in burning calories easier and more effectively. Oh, so number one, it potentially enhances um, uh, metabolism. That's good if you want to lose a few pounds. Intestinal problems, number two. One of the properties of Busy is its ability to stimulate the intestinal tract to secrete gastric acid required for digestion. It also relieves constipation, check this out, and an upset stomach. Oh, I better try and get me some of this Busy tea then. Um, it, it's a busy body, but we can, we can get it anyway. It's antioxidants, antiviral, 
and antimicrobial properties uh, assist in strengthening the immune system from which the body's immune response is centered. Hmm. Number three, male impotence. Ooh, honey child, y'all men listening? Hold on now, we need that robot. We need that voice, that megaphone voice back. All the men in aisles one through 22, kindly pay attention. We've got a big announcement here for you. Are you struggling with male impotence? Then this could be the one for you. It's called busy tea, busy, busy, busy. <laughs> so it says that men have utilized busy as a remedy for impotence due to its ability to stimulate blood flow. New studies have also indicated that the nut contains, oh God, big word time. Hold on now. Uh, phytoantrogens, I think that's the right word, uh, that have effects similar to testosterone that may be effective in treating prostate cancer. Hmm. Okay. Number four, it says it could help with osteoarthritis. Busy has natural anti-inflammatory properties that act to lessen swelling that makes joint movement difficult and painful. Wow. Number five, respiratory disorders. This is, uh, I need to get me some of this tea, honey, child. Uh, the nut is a known bronchial dilator uh, that can ease the symptoms of respiratory distress that occurs in asthma, allergies, and colds. And busy also aids in alleviating phlegm congestion. Oh, honey, child. Miss Stacy, hold on now. I need to do another voice from the state. I'll do the same one. That one, that, I like this one. Miss Stacy, can you please put busy tea on the shopping list? We need to get some busy tea stat right away, please. Thank you. <laughs> we need some busy tea. Number six, migraines. Caffeine is an ingredient in a number of migraine uh, headache remedies, and products containing the compound can be up to 40% more effective in relieving the pain. Caffeine works to dilate blood vessels and can and care. Hold on now, somebody calling me from a 345 number. That would mean that's Cayman. Good morning, caller. Welcome to the program. Or good morning. <laughs> Hello. Are you actually trying to call the program? Okay, 936-2626. Yes, ma'am. All right, there. All right, caffeine works to dilate blood vessels, but care should be used as it can also cause headaches in those that ingest too much caffeine. Oh, Lord. Number seven. Mental uh, well-being. The psychoactive ability of caffeine blocks, oh, what is this word? Um, adenosine, allowing brain cells and neurotransmitters to work at an increased rate through the release of dopamine. Dopamine, sorry. Uh, this action can work to improve memory and increase reaction. It's important to note that busy can react with prescription medication. Oh, that's an important warning. And it's also dangerous and toxic to animals. Always use botanical medicinals with care. Oh, you might want to find out which uh, prescription meds it might interfere with. Good morning, caller. Good morning, Sandy. How are you doing? Not too bad. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm calling Beautiful. about busy. Yes. I'm a Jamaican. I'm from the country. I can shed a little light on it. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, busy is good for a number of things. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, to eat something out of the tin, Jamaicans uh -huh. call it humane poisoning. We also call food allergens. Uh huh. Yes, this okay. can be boiled. It's good for that too. Oh wow. Yes, and uh, whenever the pink eye is around, uh -huh. you get the stick of the bisi and you soak it in water overnight and it becomes slimy like the okra. 
and you drop that into your eyes. It's, it's wonderful for that. For, for the really? Pink so the yeah. busy um, is from the cola. It's called the cola. The cola nut. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. Persons say it's used to make Coca-Cola too. I'm not sure. Okay. So busy, the cola nut grows in Jamaica then? Widely, especially in the country areas of Jamaica. Mm -hmm. It's in a green pod. It's grown in a green pod. Mm -hmm. On the basic wow. tree. Mm -hmm. Huh, very cool. Well, if it yeah. grows in Jamaica, that means it can grow in Cayman as well. I think so. The temperature is probably just right for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's and wonderful. We use it for teas. It's nice with coconut milk in teas. It's very, very good. Nice. I'm going to have to check it out. Thank yeah, you so sure. much, Carl. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Some good information there, folks. Um, the more you, the more you know, the more you grow. Uh, we've got Kamara joining us. She says that first lady Jean reminded me that I've also blocked my own sister. Ooh, honey child. Y'all so salty and hot. <laughs> yes, indeed I did. Um, so yeah, she's one of the few people that have ever gotten blocked. You can imagine. Mm -mm. Scandalous. Uh, Gustavo is joining us from Honduras. Buenos dias. Como estas? Camaria says, that's how us Leos roll. Um, Sandy, we take people's BS until our patience runs out, and then we take no more. And when we're done, you trust me, we are done. Good morning, Johan. How you doing? Miss Marva's in the house. She says, good morning, my boss man. Boss lady. Yes, honey, chill. Uh, Leroy says she's missing out on the CMR soap opera like days of her lives. She can still listen. You know, she's probably still listening. She just can't comment. So when you block people from the live stream, oh no, Melai, hold on now. I haven't just blocked her from the live stream. I've blocked her from all of CMR. Oops. Oh, well. Yep. Never mind. She won't be able to see nothing going on around. Yeah. Unless she creates another account, which knowing her, she'll probably do. Uh, Kara, you still trying to collect a mug? Girl, let me tell y'all something. We had all these um, radios nicely labeled with y'all names on it, phone numbers, and that was sitting there must be for a good month at DMS Broadcasting. And I said, but hold on a second. I posted two reminders and I said, you know what? These people clearly don't want these mugs. And I don't believe in forcing nothing on nobody. You know? No, not not even if it's free, honey child. And there are other people who really do want it and who need it. So I feel sorry for all of you, but I took the bag back last week and I said, okay, we're going to reallocate those um, radios for those of you who never had the time to go pick them up. Too bad, too sad. We're going to allocate those to some other people because I know a lot of seniors, they be asking me, Sandy, I really need that radio, you know? I said, don't you worry, honey child, I'll get you one. So now... We'll be reallocating that. Thank you, Ms. Kimaria. She says, Bess is called Cola Nut. Also, it's good for poison. It's a wonderful tea mix with coconut milk and the sticks soaked in water are good for pink eyes. See that? Right, this one. Um, Natasha says, ask your husband, Bess say tea is for food poisoning. Huh. Uh, Vanessa says she needs a radio. I hear you there, honey chill. Very good. Um, yeah, Marlon knows a lot of these things because he a country bumpkin, you know. He know what's going on out there. Morning, Delcy. How you doing? Miss Sue says, thank you, Sandy. Yes, it was very hard. First birthday without my hubby. I did enjoy my birthday best I could. Uh, my family made sure of that. 
and all the birthday wishes from so many people. Thanks again. You're welcome. Hello, Joy. Um, she's saying, I bet you, you have some busy tea at home and you don't even know it. Marlon probably got it in his stash of tea. Now he's a tea man, boy. He loves him some tea. I haven't drank more tea in my life till I met Marlon, honey, Jill. We got all different kind of flavors. Yep. He, he likes one cup of coffee for the day, but he loves his tea as well. So some nights he don't even have dinner. He'd just be like, oh, just make me a cup of tea. I'm like, okay. All right. Miss Darlene says you can drink it with coconut milk. Uh-huh. I definitely got to get me some busy tea. Uh, oh, Miss Irvlin said it's also a poison or poisonous if not used in the right consistency. Mm. This is like, you know, what don't kill you might make you stronger, but some things have a double-sided edge to them. They're both good and bad for you. So Irvin said, be careful. Make sure you're reading it per the instructions. Um, Barbara says, I swear by busy tea, I don't travel without it. Yes, sir. Hmm. Uh-huh. Well, we ain't get us some of that yet today or tomorrow. Uh, African culture use it to break and share if you have new visitors as a symbol of welcoming. Hmm. Uh, Leroy says he feels like a herbal doctor this morning. All right, busy tea sounds like the cure for many problems. I know, right, Miss Marva? Your hand says you too disrespectful. I heard from some men that a new side thing fixes. Your hand, we're going to put you in the back of the classroom. Go all the way to the back and sit in the corner by yourself with your bad jokes. All right. Uh-huh. Uh, Marva says, if anybody's traveling from Jamaica tomorrow, please <laughs> bring her some busy tea. Well, there's a lot of people traveling um, for the summer, for sure. Miss Grace wants some too. I don't blame you, honey, Jen. Um... All right. Hello, Grace. We'll look for it. Fosters has it. Go, Fosters. Um, oh, yes. Amanda says, remember? <laughs> yes, honey, child. I'll come in. Rhonda, good morning. Good morning, Miss Joy. Johan, you don't you don't be um, rushing me, Naina. Come on, hurry up and get to this topic. <laughs> he must have think, he must have think this show just for him. We have this caller, Natasha, is listening. She says, I'm going Foster's today. I want my mug. Been begging for years. All right, let me write it down, honey, Chad. That's the only way I can remember. Hold on, Hina. I noticed that my little marker, I got these markers in all colors, right? My little Sharpie pen. I use a blue one a lot, but I noticed it's staining at my finger this morning because um, I don't know if it's leaking or what. Might have to get me another little one. I like the extra fine markers too. Natasha needs a mug. All right, honey, chill. Um, she says that I love Johan. Don't tell him that too loudly. Um, it's uh, his sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Amanda, when you come back, you're going to remind me because I know you're not even here, honey, chill. Traveling the world. Um, Andrea, they done pull back. If you didn't go for your radio too late now, I don't know. Uh-huh. Kara says, from donkey ages, like one year ago, I was supposed to go pick mine up. I'm sorry. I love you. I want my mug for my coffee. Listen to me. 
We can't be holding on to merchandise forever, Nina. I, I don't know if yours is still there, Cara. There were two mugs there, but I'm not sure who those are for. So um, Dean says, I blocked my only sister and a brother going two years now for my own peace of mind. Block everybody, honey. Child. Whoever you feel like blocking, you block them. Morning, Kizzy. Good morning, Miss Faith. Kizzy wants a portable radio. Now make sure you really want it. Now, you know, don't tell me you want it and then. I'll put your name on it and you never pick it up. What's up, me, Kizzy? Uh, so I can put your number down. Um, yep, yeah, I'm repurposing them. We don't believe in making stuff go to waste, man. Yeah. No, honey, Chad, those radios too precious. Not coming up my little CMR budget. Oh, yeah. My pen, my marker's leaking. Oh, I might have to go to Amazon to see how it messed up on my fingers. And I really like the blue. Yeah, it's definitely got a leak. Oh, that's too bad. I got these in all kinds of colors. It comes like in a whole pack. And I keep telling my six-year-old, these are not for her. These are mummy's markers. And every time she wants color, because it's a beautiful pack, she comes picking up all my markers. I bet you she went and did this to my little marker. All right, Amazon. Hold on. Let me look at my Sharpies again. Um, These are really nice. They write nicely. They're ultra fine print. Sharpie. One order matching Sharpie. Mm -hmm. Let me see here now. So this is Color Burst Permanent Markers, ultra fine, 24 count, 24 colors in it. Ooh, they're so pretty. Um, I have to add this to my cart, y'all. What does it say? Oh, it's on sale. Prime same day. Can I just give a big shout out to Amazon? I love Amazon. So if I order it before 10 o'clock this morning, it'll be delivered. No, what does it say? Free delivery today between 10 and 3. If I order within the next 42 minutes, we can order it and test that between 10 and 3. Boy, Amazon is so fast. There, sent it to my Miami address. Let's see how quickly it gets there. I keep an eye on it. You can imagine. So that means that if I order it by nine o'clock, which is 10 o'clock their time, they're in a different time zone now, right? I can't remember. Um, it's going to get there within an hour to a couple hours. Oh, Amazon, I love you. Yes. All right. I can't take the marker up on my finger, so I can put that marker down. Um, mm -hmm. Ethel, whatever happened to that soap child? I couldn't tell you. If y'all don't come for your prizes, we have a box of leftover prizes from Christmas. I soon give those away too. What a mess. Um, oh, I ordered some new stuff. Y'all got to pay attention now. I'm going to be doing some other giveaways coming up in August because it's my birthday and I believe in sharing the love. So I'm going to give away stuff to you all for my birthday. And we got some good prizes coming your way. That's all I'm going to say. Just look out for it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. What the heck is dog blood for clean out? What is that? Uh, Dean says you can't have busy tea like other teas, Sandy. I have busy tea twice a year. It's a poison, but cleanses the blood, I heard. But 
surely you can use it on a regular basis if it's done right. It says it's actually quite a popular beverage. Hmm. So apparently it has caffeine in it. That's the only thing that, that might be the only reason why I don't actually um why I don't actually use it because I'm not really a caffeine person. Um, I mean, imagine if I were, y'all wouldn't be able to take it. <laughs> y'all could not handle Sandy and caffeine or drugs or anything else for that matter. Hello. I'd be bouncing off the walls. So yeah, I don't like to be like jittery and stuff like that. You know, when we were in university and we had to pull those all nighters, some people would take no dose. You guys remember those to help you stay up all night. Oh, God, that made me so jittery. I, I was like, uh-uh, I, I can't deal with it. Um, so anyway, apparently you can get this busy tea, I think, at most grocery stores. And uh, this is one. I'll show you one packaging. There. That's how it looks, I guess, once it's grounded up. Nice. Okay. All right, lovely people. Thank you, thank you. Yep, we, we're going to have a hashtag 50 cent party. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. All month long. I love it. Uh, Camara's uh, birthday is August the 22nd. I'm the 18th. My daughter's the 9th. Who else got a birthday? There's a couple of people that share the 18th with me. There's David. Um, David, what's his name again? David from licensing department. Oh, gosh. What's David's last name? Anyhow, y'all know which David I'm talking about. Um, His birthday is the 18th as well. So we're going to party like it's 1999. <laughs> uh, some of y'all weren't even alive then. Okay. All right. So um, let's move on to a couple different things. Johan is, is anxious for a particular conversation this morning. I'm coming to you, son. Don't worry. Let not your heart be anxious. Read your Bible, Johan. All good things to those who wait. All right. Let's talk about the weather first. Da David Dixon, thank you. <laughs> That's exactly. So we share a birthday. Who else has a birthday with me? There's a few people that share a birthday. All right, listen. Um, let's talk about the heat before we go anywhere else. And... Uh, Al, of course, Al is the, what is Al's birthday? Is he the 16th or the 18th? Like he's somewhere a little bit closer to mine. Oh, Fidel Castro's birthday is the 13th of August. No wonder he's such a tyrant. Mm -hmm. You got to rein some people in born in the month of August, honey child. They can go, they can go down that wrong path. <laughs> Marissa, good morning. Alice is the 21st. Leanna sharing the beautiful uh, things about mango leaves. Hmm. Wow. Good morning, caller. Good morning. My niece shares birthday with you too in August. Oh, really? Listen, what? Listen, listen to me. I have a best friend. Birthday is August 1st. I have another friend. Mm -hmm. August 2nd. My, yeah. One of my nieces, the 5th. My brother-in-law, the 9th. Uh -huh. My aunt is the Another friend is the 11. I'm the 12th. My sister-in-law is the 13th. Wow. My niece is the 18th. My daughter is the 30th. 
Oh my gosh. I have a whole heap of August birthdays. Yes, you got to make a whole list just to remember all those. Yes, Fidel, because I told my mother when I found out that he was um, August 13th, I said, Jesus, peace, and he'll born me on his birthday, and he'll made me communist because I'm the 12th. And my sister in law's <laughs> the 13th. Oh my God. Oh my and, goodness! And my daughter's a thirty-eight. I'll try and get her to born on my birthday, but couldn't do it. So I'm I'm a Leo, but she's a Virgo. She's oh. different than me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I'm I see more people born in August than in other on yes. in other months. Actually, I think, so. I think I think that's um I think that that's statistically correct. August is yeah. the most popular birth month. And I think it this has something to do. It could, I could be wrong, but I always say kind of whole heap of birthdays. And my people, my been twenty something uh, that birthdays the twelfth. Miss Maxine Marshall, Nathaniel, Togin, whole, whole heap of people that that um that I have birthday with. My be more than three dozen that I know. That's August twelfth. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of people born in August. Mm-hmm. And I say as a whole. I have a whole caboodle. My aunt, my only aunt that I have for my mother's siblings, I mean, I the one on the tent. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she lives in Tampa. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Thank you yes, so ma'am. much, my dear. That's why I get swept so easy because they say you strike the match. You, you, you throw the fuse and strike the match and I raise the blue because they say, I tell them Leo blue hard. I mean, I can be nice, but don't get me out neither because, but my daughter, she's different. She can tell you which bus stop to get off. If you get her real mad, but you got to push her to her last bit, but no, I get wet quick. Uh-huh. So that's why I don't mess with much people because, like I say, you know, that's sort of um, gas and strike the match and I read it to blue. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I hear you there, honey child. Thank you so I much. Have much patience, especially for foolishness. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. Very true. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. All right, darling. So, um, we have uh, a guest in the studio. Thank you so much, Miss Dana. I'm coming right to you. My apologies on my end. I forgot to refresh the link. You know, there's lots of things, folks, that are happening around the world, around the region, around the Caribbean and the United States of America and Europe and so on. And it's really important that we as Caribbean people keep abreast of these things for more reasons than one. Sometimes it's just interesting news and other times it is shifting the very foundation of things that have been in place for a super long time. And, um, you know, we have a saying that in the United States of America, um, they sneeze, but we're the ones who are going to catch the cold. (laughs) So a lot of things that happen there have very much an influence on us. And it's just so interesting to keep on top of what is going on with them. So I am absolutely tickled pink to have this morning uh, Miss Dana Thompson-Dorsey, She's a JD and PhD. So JD is Juris Doctus, I think, uh, law degree, for those of you from the UK system. And she's an associate professor of education, law, policy, and leadership in the Department of Leadership, Policy, and Lifelong Learning at the University of South Florida. Now, you guys know that USF is my my alma mater, so we always got to give USF a big shout out. Ms. Tina, good morning. Good morning to you. How are you? Oh, we're blessed. How are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. We've (laughs) got a listener to the program. That's her favorite thing to say when she calls in. She's like, Sandy, I'm blessed and highly favored. I said, yes, you are. Yes. So thankful. Um, So thank you so much. We were just having a little chit chat before you joined the program. And my apologies. I forgot to refresh the link. 
Um, but we're all good now. I see that yes. in your email signature, I got to tell you, I absolutely love this quote that you have up by uh, Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, you can tell us a little bit about your background. I see that you, you know, obviously a professor of law there and, um, you know, looks like the who's who at USF in that department for sure. <laughs> but I really appreciate, um, you know, this particular quote from Malcolm X. And I'm going to just share it on the screen with our um, viewers, and I'll read it for everybody else listening in the radio. It says, I'm for truth, no matter who tells it. I'm for justice, no matter who it is for or against. I'm a human being first and foremost, and as such, I'm for whoever and whatever benefits humanity as a whole. Absolutely love it. I feel like that could be our mantra here um, on the CMR platform. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Miss Dana. Well, I, I've been at USF for just two and a half years now. Okay. Um, and prior to coming here, I was at the University of Pittsburgh, and I'm from Pittsburgh originally, born and okay. raised, uh, and uh, went there for law school as well as for my PhD in education, oh, uh, focusing on education policy and social and comparative analysis and education. Mm. Um, and I'm also a graduate of Lincoln University uh, outside of Philadelphia, which is the oldest historically black college and university mm-hmm. uh, in the country to grant four-year degrees. Also, the alma mater of Thurgood Marshall and Kwame Nkrumah and Langston Hughes. So I'm very proud of that legacy. Mm-hmm. But uh, prior to uh, my work as a professor, which I've been in academia about 15 years now, mm-hmm. I practiced law. Um, I think I have a little uh, different um, entree into education uh, and education law. I mean, I was a lawyer, but my focus was not education. I did not have a background in teaching. Uh, People or a lot of people were surprised by that, but it was just life and circumstances that led me uh, back into, uh, I guess, the education realm when I was practicing law for many years, um, doing civil defense litigation, meaning I was defending a lot of law firms. Um, I was working for law firms and defending a lot of companies and corporations mm-hmm. and doing a lot of employment work and really felt like that was not what I should be doing. So mm-hmm. I started taking on pro, pro bono cases Wow! Um, with the support of my law firm, at least yes. <laughs> shortly <laughs> for a brief amount of time. And I started working with parents who had children with special needs Uh, And that's when I really started to learn more about education um, and particularly the inequities in education and uh, started becoming, I guess, fascinated, but also burdened Mm. that I felt like I should be doing more. So started working with my church in Pittsburgh. I was living in Pittsburgh and practicing law in Pittsburgh at that time. And this was during the time, early 2000s, when there were the grants that uh, were the faith-based grants. I believe this was under the George W. Bush um, administration. Mm-hmm. And my church decided to apply and I helped write that grant. And that really um, got me focused on education because we started working with uh, a predominantly African-American middle school in the city of Pittsburgh, uh, where a lot of children, particularly black males, were failing. And so we had decided to start a mentoring program working with the young males from sixth to eighth grade mm-hmm. and trying to work with them in not just mentoring them in terms of academics, but also in terms of culture and community and spirituality 
and uh, and then I started a reading and writing program after school, and you know, it really introduced me to what a lot of young people, and including myself, it, it gave me an opportunity to actually reflect on my own educational experiences that mm -hmm. I had not really done. And I don't think a lot of us really do unless we're put in a situation where we have to. Right. And that's when I started asking questions. And I realized the only way they would be answered is if I went back to school and explored them. And people thought I was crazy. My family were like, you're going to leave this high paying job at this large law firm mm -hmm. um, and go back to school for a PhD? Because at this point, I was probably five years in and close to that partnership track, which mm. most attorneys aspire to, but suddenly my passion changed. Mm. And it was more about using my legal background to learn more about how some of these things like uh, uh, tracking that happens in schools, mm -hmm. uh, the disparities that occur with you have having black and brown children um, disproportionately assigned to special education or the disp disproportionality in, in, in discipline, particularly in suspensions and expulsions. And wow. I had to find out how that was legal and what I could do to change it. Yeah. So 15 years later, here I am still doing that work. Um, wow. And when it comes to affirmative action or race-based admissions in higher education, mm -hmm. that became my dissertation topic. Wow. Um, and a lot of that was both the fascination that I had with critical race theory, which I had started learning about um, while I was working on my PhD, which is interesting. It mm -hmm. wasn't while I was in law school, even though I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh School of Law, which is Derek Bell's. Um, I'm a mater. That's where he graduated mm -hmm. from law school. And he's one of the founding, mm -hmm. founding people of critical race theory. But mm -hmm. I didn't learn about it until I started working on my PhD. And, um, and I decided I wanted to really conduct an analysis around race-based admissions because I started my um, PhD in, mm -hmm. in 2004, which was right after the Michigan cases, um, the Grutter v. Bollinger and Gratz v. Bollinger cases. And here we are. Wow. So super interesting. Um, my takeaway, of course, as I'm listening to you, um, it's just fascinating. You're right where you're supposed to be. Absolutely. You know? we, Absolutely. Say that, we say that all the time here in this program and you are right where you're supposed to be. But, you know, the strength of that story, and I hope that people are really paying attention to it, is um, the path to where you're supposed to be is not straight and narrow. There's all sorts of twists and turns and loops and sometimes backward flips and you might go backwards to then have to go forward, um, yeah. you know, but all of the skills, the experience, everything that you talked about has led you to where your passion is. Yeah. Um, you know, the law degree was not a waste. Those five years working in that law firm were all very valuable information because I think you probably may not have even come to an understanding of you're talking about, you know, representing people and seeing a lot of these issues that made you go, hold on a second here. This is a real area of concern. So kudos mm -hmm. to you um, and you. congratulations. And of course, um, JD, he's a, a alumni from USF as well. He says, go Bulls. We're always happy <laughs> to yes. see the amount of amazing, um, you know, staff that USF has at their disposal. And, um, you know, it's been many, many years since I haven't been there, but it's a wonderful university. And to know that they have the caliber of, uh, you know, instructors, associate professors, such as yourself, I think is just fantastic. Thank so you. one of the reasons, uh, Dana, we wanted to have you in the program 
is there was um, a decision recently by the Supreme Court that kind of surprised me, actually. Um, It wasn't a unanimous decision, but we'll get into some of the details of it. We're basically, and the Supreme Court has been, I guess this is like their period where they issue and release a lot of their decisions. I feel like they've done a few in the last couple of weeks, but, you know, they've essentially reversed affirmative action. And I, I don't know why I always thought in my head, I also have a law degree, which, you know, it's not logical to think this way, but I always thought, oh, that decision is fixed in stone. Clearly it isn't. So before we talk about the decision, can we talk about how, um, you know, sort of um, legislative decisions, such as what the Supreme Court issues, you know, when they look at these cases, can actually change course, change the course of, of a legal principle or, or case law that, you know, a previous court said 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago that this yeah. is what it's going to be. And in the United States of America, because your judges are political appointments um, at the Supreme Court level, that is very, very interesting and has some serious implications from, you know, who who is going to put them in. Obviously, it's the president of the United States, I think, who nominates them. So every time you have a political shift from a more conservative court to maybe a more liberal court, and if the pendulum switches the other way, it could mean the reversal of some very, very interesting things that have been almost, you know, a steadfast legal position for a long time. So let's talk about that aspect of it, and then we'll get into the details of what the judges have done. Yeah, so um, you're talking specifically about the the politics. Yes. That, yes, and so, and that's what is problematic because uh, it was never supposed to be um, where Supreme Court justices are political. Mm. They are supposed to be... Um, uh, lawyers, mm-hmm. right? They're supposed to follow the law. They are supposed to follow what we call stare decisis, right? Let the law stand legal precedents, mm-hmm. um, which we know, given the history, uh, particularly in the United States, could be problematic if we think about some of those decisions that came out, uh, particularly when we talk about the 1800s, like a, a Dred Scott v. Sanford mm-hmm. and what that may mean when we talk about let the law stand. But uh, the problem that we're we're noticing more and more, particularly in the past several decades, is that the political appointments that have been made um, have been ones where, and I would say definitely uh, those that were made uh, by Donald Trump, the three that were appointed, where they seem to be more interested in um, following or voting their ideology. Mm. Um, political ideology, religious ideology, mm-hmm. than they are in actually following stare decisis or legal precedent, mm. um, or even um, where society is um, mm-hmm. recognizing um, what is actually happening in society, particularly mm-hmm. around issues of racism and discrimination, um, not acknowledging that we have a long history of racism Mm -hmm. that still is very much present. And um, that lack of acknowledgement for the sake of um, political party and allegiance Mm -hmm. has become a problem. And we are, we are seeing this uh, more and more, and particularly in the, in the last three or four decisions, Mm -hmm. including that uh, one in race-based admissions and higher ed. And I always like to be specific by saying race-based admissions, as opposed to affirmative action, 
because affirmative action itself, which has a long history in the United States, um, was not one that was always about race, even though race was included. but it was uh, about affirmatively um, having opportunities for those who lack those opportunities. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and even if we go as far back as, as uh, during the time of Franklin D. Roosevelt and the New Deal, um, and even before that, it was about providing opportunities for unions and union members because of mm-hmm. the discrimination against union members. And even more present day, when we talk about the uh, existence uh, in uh, I guess, more blatant um, uh, uh, creation of, of affirmative action policies after the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, it was more white women who benefited from affirmative mm-hmm. action and still benefit from affirmative mm-hmm. action than uh, under, uh, underrepresented minorities, such as African-Americans wow. and, and uh, Latinos and Native Americans. How, how is that possible? I mean, how does that work exactly? Exactly. Um, well, the 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 laws has, were just passed as such that they have been the benefits of it. If we even step back a lot farther, right in history, um, and think about during a time of slavery, during that time you had Africans uh, who were property, right? Who they were they were owned by um, they they were owned by some some of them being our founding fathers, but they they were owned by they were slave owners. Mm-hmm. But these men also basically own their wives, right? Their their daughters. Their mm-hmm. women at that time were property. They could not enter into contracts themselves. Mm-hmm. They could not vote. And uh, so, uh, but they still were able to gain um, rights a lot faster than those who were enslaved, even after the Emancipation Proclamation. We mm-hmm. think about the... In the United States, the 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 Fifteenth um, Amendment in the Constitution is what is supposed to give everyone's uh, the opportunity to have the right to vote, mm-hmm. but that was not for Black people or even women. Women did not get that until the Nineteenth Amendment, but Black people still were not able mm-hmm. to vote, and we still struggle with voting, right? right? That's why we had to have the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And we're still talking about actually re-upping that, uh, that the Voting Rights Act, which is sounds huh. ludicrous when we have a constitutional amendment that was passed in the 1860s. Uh, and so, uh, but, but it's white women, even when we talk about access to higher education, employment mm-hmm. opportunities, um, pay, uh, opportunities in terms of having more equal pay with men. That's white women who have benefited from that from that so much more. White women make more money and have more uh, higher positions in mm-hmm. in, in corporations and law firms, um, in medicine, in government than um, black men black men and black women. And, mm-hmm. and 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 so the data has shown that it is white women who have greatly benefited. So the issue is not really affirmative action. The Uh issue is race-based affirmative action, whether you're talking about employment or in this case, admissions into Uh private and public elite universities. Right. So of course we have N.A. Smith here who says hiring in companies should be about selecting the best candidate for the job, not race, ideology, or whatever else. 
thank you, Supreme Court of America, for writing that wrong. But that wasn't actually the decision. So N.A. Smith isn't paying attention. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, and then right. goes on to say, oh, more race baiting. And at that point, I just blocked them. Because if you don't even understand the fundamental topic here, the Supreme Court has not touched um, hiring. They've touched mm -hmm. education, which should be a universal right, in my opinion. Right. So to be very, very clear, the Supreme Court decision is about race-based affirmative action for college admission. So N.A. Smith, pay attention now. It has nothing to do with jobs and hiring yet. It may get there, who knows? But that's not the discussion um, this morning. So, you know, when we talk about, let's talk a little bit about the sort of context of um, race-based college admissions and why it was put in place. Um, you know, how, how did this come about in the first place? Decades old U.S. policy. Yes, yes. So in terms of college admission specifically, once again, um, this would go back to the time of, if we talk about, of course, slavery, where you could, when those who were enslaved in, could not be educated in many Southern states, it was actually illegal to educate those who were enslaved. And so once again, we're talking about uh, those of African descent in the, in the United States being hundreds of years behind in terms of access to even basic K to 12 or education. And the same with higher education. That's why during the time of uh, the, I guess, Freedmen's Bureau Act, during the time of reconstruction, um, mm -hmm. pretty much the only thing uh, African uh, Americans had access to at that time was education, right? That pe people know that term 40 acres and a mule, which mm -hmm. was included in the uh, Freedmen's Bureau Act uh, in 1864, but was quickly removed because of how it benefited uh, those who were newly free uh, slaves than it did those who were white and white refugees. So that was removed quickly. And so were a lot of other opportunities in terms of access to, to low interest loans uh, for, for buying land or property. But the only thing that was left by 1866 in that Freedmen's Bureau Act was education. And so you had a lot of land grant institutions that were created that were specifically HBCUs. Um, and, and so that is pre predominantly would educate um, black people. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those were based on agriculture, um, still working the land. And that's why you had a, a lot who just decided not to go to college, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the South, and to become sharecroppers. And that would pass on from generation to generation. And then you had many who migrated to the North to take on other type of uh, labor jobs or to attend um, colleges or universities, or they did it, that in the South and then migrated to the North to take, uh, uh, to take advantage of opportunities in corporate America or even academia. Uh, but there had still been, we still were dealing with Jim Crow laws. Mm -hmm. So the access that we had to education, even higher education, um, was not the same as our white counterparts. Mm -hmm. We were still competing, um, I guess, with our hands tied behind our backs because mm -hmm. oftentimes uh, teachers, mm -hmm. for example, I'll use, I'll use teachers, for example, a lot of teachers, K-12 teachers that, had, um, that were teaching our children mm -hmm. had two-year certificates. Um, right degrees. They didn't have four-year 
college degrees as uh, many of the white men and women that were coming out of colleges and educating our children. Mm. Uh, there were also um, these issues of a lack of resources, mm. and that would include access to books and um, libraries and uh, all types of, uh, uh, I will say highly qualified professors, because I believe mm -hmm. our teachers um, from K to 12 into higher education were highly qualified, mm -hmm. but still lacked access to the same knowledge as our white counterparts. Mm -hmm. uh, even if you think about lawyers, for mm -hmm. example, it wasn't until 1948 where we had the LSAT. And so I don't think it was you know, just an accident that it was created during a time that was such a, a push, particularly in higher education, led by Thurgood Marshall and Charles Hamilton Houston, who at that time were working for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And they were working from the early 30s up until Brown v. Board, where they started focusing on K-12 and desegregating um, higher education, showing that separate but equal in higher education would never be equal. And mm -hmm. so where lawyers prior to 1948, where the LSAT was created, um, were basically educated by being mentored by other lawyers. And, uh, you know, there was no bar exam, right? There was no LSAT. There was, well, there was a form of bar exam, but the law school itself was a mentoring type of um, opportunity. You didn't have to take wow. a test, right? You'd go, you, you, mm -hmm. you'd go to law school and be mentored. It wasn't until 1948 where the LSAT was created, where, of course, those who were not getting access to that same type of education, mm -hmm. and this goes for the SATs as well, even though that was created in like 1926. Mm -hmm. um, if you weren't getting access to that type of knowledge in terms of logical thinking, um, basically learning how to take a test, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. then you were not going to do well on that test. What would bar you from gaining access to uh, undergraduate institutions, if we're talking mm -hmm. about the SATs, which have also always been shown to be culturally and racially biased. And then mm -hmm. the LSATs um, as well, if you wanted to attend law school. And and we, we know that the most power that is had are, are those who have law degrees. That's why in the Grutter v. Bollinger case, the Michigan case where uh, up until uh, Two weeks ago, when the Supreme mm -hmm. Court over, overturned uh, the use of race-based admissions in higher education, Justice O'Connor talked about how race should still be used as a plus factor as long as individuals are being um, reviewed holistically, right? They're being viewed mm -hmm. as individuals, not as a group, but their right. applications are reviewed. And race is just one of many factors that are considered. Mm -hmm. And she said the important, particularly in law schools, because mm -hmm. that Grutter v. Bollinger case was dealing with Michigan law school. Mm -hmm. In law schools, it's particularly important to have that, that educational benefit of diversity, people from different backgrounds and walks of life, mm -hmm. speaking in class on these legal cases and legal issues that surround us every day, because the majority of those who are governors are lawyers. The majority of those who are in our legislature, or at least a third, have, have a legal background. Same mm -hmm. with those who have held the office of United States president. The majority yeah. of them are lawyers. Are lawyers. Wow. And of course, we know, of course, our let our that, let that sink in. Yeah, let, let's have that sink in for a minute because, you know, a lot of times, even here in the Cayman Islands, we talk about the importance and the value of um, having 
uh, a good education. And it's really the access that it gives you to other opportunities, yes. you know, going into good universities. And then th th there you're able to network and make connections. And that also gives you additional opportunities. But basically what I'm hearing you say, um, Dana, is that the playing field has never been even. Affirmative action didn't really make it even as much as people might want to think that that was the case. And even today, 2023, here we are and the playing field still isn't even. And right. this uh, um, United's, the Supreme Court decision, uh, which came down two weeks ago, will now make it even worse. This is a step backwards. Correct. Correct. And we had, uh, for example, in 1996, the... California, state of California banned all affirmative action policies. So that was based on gender and race, uh, religion, so on and so forth. And, and that included in higher education. They were the first state to move forward with uh, adding that to the ballot. And, and, and the citizens of the state of California banned all use of affirmative action. Mm -hmm. And then in and, and, and the years that followed, uh, that next decade, there was a 50% drop in applications to the UCAL and Cal State system, mm -hmm. particularly from uh, black and brown students. And it took years and years for them to even recover from that. And a lot of that recovery um, was, of course, the recruiting efforts of UCAL mm -hmm. and Cal State system, but also just because the population uh, that exists are predominantly and definitely Latino and, uh, and, and, and African-American, we have a large population of both. And uh, so the applications, it just increased for that sheer reason, in addition to the recruiting efforts. But for at least a decade, there was a 50% job. So you think about all of those young people mm -hmm. that we lost mm -hmm. um, in, in getting an education, um, from top institutions like, you know, the University of California, Berkeley, or the University of California, LA, UCLA, um, you know, University of California, Riverside. I mean, you mm -hmm. think about uh, those who chose not to go to college at that point, mm -hmm. all the great minds that we, that we lost access to, those who may have cured uh, cancer or different forms of cancer or Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and thinking about that happening across the country because of students who, who just thought that um, elite institutions like Harvard or UNC Chapel Hill, which I was a professor there as well for seven mm -hmm. years, um, they would never be able to go there. So just decided, I'm going to do a trade. Maybe I'll do become an electrician or a plumber, mm -hmm. which, of course, are amazing jobs if that's what you choose to do. But right. it shouldn't be you're settling for it because you don't think you have an access or opportunity at any of these elite institutions or even those that are your great public institutions in your backyard. Wow. Let's take a few um, questions. Of course, the phone line 93626 is open. We have Belika, who is an attorney um, under the UK system, asked the question, does the U.S. Supreme Court sit outside its seat in Washington, D.C.? If so... Does the state government pay for their expense or is it just the federal government? 
So uh, let me understand what that means. Sit outside its seat in Washington. You, so what does that mean? Or, or, so are you- they, they only they only meet um, and sit and make their decisions in Washington. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's where they that's where they are in the they Supreme convene. Court building in Washington, D.C. They uh, convene in October. That's when the term always begins and they start hearing uh, oral arguments during that time. And and uh, the, the, the term ends at the end of June. And so mm-hmm. the most controversial decisions, those that are always highly awaited, come out in the month of June. And during that last week are when the most um, controversial decisions mm-hmm. come out, such as that, which was the students for fair, educa- uh, for fair um, admissions mm-hmm. uh, versus Harvard and UNC. Hmm. Absolutely. Now, who, who brought the actual... Um, lawsuit. I mean, obviously someone has to bring the challenge, right? Absolutely. So, excuse me, but my headphones just starting to fall out here. So sorry about that. So, um, so the, so the organization is called Students for Fair Admissions, and it is basically funded by a gentleman, Ed Bloom, Edward Bloom, who for years, decades, has fought to end race-based admissions in higher education. And uh, so he has fund, funded different organizations where um, and would find plaintiffs. The organizations would find plaintiffs to bring these actions against uh, different institutions. Um, and mm-hmm. so the, this particular um, case was focused on Asian students and focused on Asian students who have who were not admitted into Harvard or UNC Chapel Hill because of their uh their race-based admissions policies. And the the interesting thing, it wasn't the argue their arguments weren't that they were letting in too many African American or Latino students. It was actually that they weren't gaining access because more students who are white gained mm-hmm. access, even though many many of the Asian students who uh, brought were part of this uh, class action lawsuit had higher GPAs and SAT scores, and uh, but at oftentimes lower likability scores. And this was particularly at Harvard, mm-hmm. this idea that, um, that legacies, for example, gained more access, which the majority of legacies, meaning those whose parents or grandparents mm-hmm. graduated from Harvard, uh, in addition, any people who are staff or faculty working at Harvard, their children gain access to the institution. And it's about 30 to 40% each year of the freshman class who are Mm -hmm. legacies or children of faculty and staff and also athletes, sought after athletes. Um, So the idea that students can come in and check a box and gain higher consideration based on their racial background and if there are legacies, uh, it, that access to this top-notch education mm-hmm. is uh, more dependent on those check boxes based on race, or who you know or who you're related to, uh, is is deemed merit-based wow. as opposed to the GPA and SAT, and uh, and so SFFA uh, students, the Asian students, had a problem with that. So crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have we have uh, some 
interesting points here. So Rosemary says, good morning, Sandy. This lady is really interesting and highly educated. Thank Eve um, says, people should be accepted into higher education only if they try hard and meet the requirements and not because of race or whatever other reason. Now, Eve, I hope that you're actually paying attention because what uh, Dana has just said, an assistant professor at USF who has you know, law degree, lots of experience in the United States system and uh, lots of you know, research knowledge behind her as well. What she's actually said is that there is a benefit to having a substantial benefit to having a parent, for example, who's an alumni at that school. That's your leg up. And so this, this concept of all things being equal for everyone does not exist in the United States of America or in most places in the world, if you really had to be honest about it. So whilst you, you um, tote this ideal of, oh, people should just be accepted for higher education, a lot of the Caucasian counterparts who get into these um, institutions don't get in based on any degree of equality. It's who you know. It's networking. We've seen the big case a couple of years ago where um, celebrities and people in the know were paying to get into these schools, doctoring their entire kids' qualifications, claiming that they were in rowing teams and that they were mm -hmm. athletes. And, um, you know, this whole scandal that saw a couple celebrities um, go to jail um, you know, how, how does that, Eve, I wonder for someone who thinks like you, because she says, why do black people, um, why do you black people with different opinions? I don't even know what that means. You know, try to put string a sentence together, but, um, you know, you, you try to make this, um, about race. And the truth of the matter is it's not black people who are making it about race. It's always been about race. Um, and it's always been about privilege and if you are someone who has access to money, you automatically, we're going to be talking about a case of, of you know, a little bit of privilege this morning. Someone comes into a jurisdiction charged with drugs and you guys don't even know anything about it because she's a celebrity. I'm Gigi Habib, Hadid. She's already gone. Y'all didn't know it happened until we put up the story last night. So be clear. Money gets you access. Race gets you access. Connections get you access. And so unfortunately, historically, um, people of color um, have not had any of those uh, leg up, right? So when you say, oh, we're going to give you a little bit of an extra point because you are a person of color, it doesn't really go far. <laughs> it does not, you know, you didn't have a situation where Harvard and Yale Law School was overwhelmed with people of color because all of a sudden, just because you were Black, you were getting into these institutions. It might have given you one or two little extra points on your application, but your white counterpart who has a father who could buy a building at Yale was still going to get preference over you. Let's, let's put it in context and be very, very clear about yeah. what's happening. Absolutely. And, and to, to, to also be clear, uh, race is usually part of one, of one of the factors, right? Because for the most part, Harvard, for example, are, they're going to consider, first and foremost, your GPA, mm -hmm. your SAT. They're going to consider your extracurricular activities. They're and going all of to, those things, mm -hmm. just to be clear, mm -hmm. all of those things, your GPA, where you're coming from, all of those things are tied to privilege, which yes. is oftentimes tied to opportunities, which is oftentimes tied to race. It's just a historical thing. Like, I don't know how people can even argue that that exists. You know what I mean? I mean, right, right. exactly. I mean, I always say this idea of merit is really a myth. 
it's a myth because it is made up in terms of what we deem as merit. Mm -hmm. uh, I, the bar always shifts. It gets a mm -hmm. lot higher the moment where you have uh, more African-Americans or Latinos or Native Americans who are gaining more power, meaning they are actually matriculating in, mm -hmm. in undergraduate and graduate and professional um, uh, degrees, and then getting access to um, the political system or the legal system to be mm -hmm. able to make change. And then suddenly there's a new bar put in place, not mm -hmm. just test taking to even get in, but then a particular certification or test you have to pass to, to actually practice what you've learned for many years by uh, studying a particular subject. And this has happened for many years. And so where race has become a plus factor, you can't get points for it. That's a quota that has been deemed unconstitutional years ago, 50 years, almost 50 years. So race is a plus factor means it can just be considered as maybe one of those personal factors, mm -hmm. um, is, which is a, a factor that, mo that most universities consider. And personal factors such as your volunteer activities in the mm -hmm. community or with particular organizations, or if you held leadership roles as part of your extracurricular activities or mm -hmm. other uh, uh, positions that you may have outside of school. And race is just one of those personal factors. But the first thing always considered are what we call merit-based, which is that GPA, SAT, mm -hmm. or LSAT, MCAT, GRE, depending on what program you're applying to. And, uh, and that's going to be considered first and foremost. But the last thing, at least at Harvard, as they are uh, going through the different admissions reviews, when you get to that last stage and you almost have that freshman class, the last thing they consider are those who are legacies. And so mm -hmm. when they're making the final cut, those who make the final cut mm -hmm. are the legacies, the children of professors and staff mm -hmm. and athletes. And um, the rest are thrown away. They still, they make it through that whole entire admissions process. And when we still just have few hundred too mm -hmm. many for our entering freshman class, mm -hmm. that leg up goes to legacies, athletes, and particularly athletes of particular sports. I mean, we think athletes, we think football and basketball. Mm -hmm. Or at a Harvard, it's like squash. Right? Yeah. And, you know, that growing. was thing, growing and squash. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 of course, those who are children yeah. of staff. Mm-hmm. All right. So Jonathan says, Sandra, just because someone has a different perspective, opinion and or agenda from you, maybe that's the problem, the agenda part. But anyway, um, from you does not give you real world right to censor them and or block them if you wish to believe and or think that you are observing and or practicing any level of journalistic integrity. Well, um, this show is not about journalistic integrity. It is a talk show. And it is my talk show. I actually pay for the time. So Jonathan, I'll have to disagree with you. On a matter of fact, if I wanted to block you, I can block you. That's my right to do so. So, you know, just like Harvard can say, we don't want you because you're black or mm -hmm. we're going to take you because you're for the right parents. That's life, Bobo. Mm -hmm. So it is what it is. Life is not meant to be fair. And you don't get to throw this tagline of journalistic integrity at me and think it's going to make one iota of a difference over here because I actually don't care. Right. And facts are facts. And for some reason, people don't want to hear the facts. So, yes. I mean, this is all everything I'm telling you right now comes directly from 
the oral arguments that were made yeah. um, when the, this case was being argued last October and then also written in the opinion, mm-hmm. you know, Justice Roberts' opinion that came yeah. out two weeks ago. So I'm not, I'm not making this up and giving my opinion. I am quoting mm-hmm. directly what was said and how their admissions process works. So that is the truth. And in terms of um, history, history is history. Some Once people again. want to rewrite history, though. They want to put <laughs> they their do. own, they want to they put put their their own, own on it. Um, so Balika says, uh, great discussion. Also, few people can sacrifice the way you have to achieve greater goals for disadvantaged people. Blessings. Um, Cameron going to into reparations. That's not the discussion this morning, Cameron. That'd be a whole other show by itself. Johan reminding people that I do have the power to block you. And it just is what it is. He says, I spoke the truth. You spoke your truth and you can speak your truth. That's on you. But I'll decide if you're going to be speaking your truth on my platform. That's right. <laughs> That's the truth too. <laughs> right. And so I always say truth is true. Florida. Sorry about that. People speak <laughs> their truth, but facts are facts. Yes. Yeah. People think their truth are the facts. And I mean, I right. try to say all the time, this is an opinion-based talk show. So there's a lot of things that I will say on this show that is just my opinion. Take it or leave it. Doesn't matter to me. And then there are things that are facts. And, you know, you, you shouldn't be able to argue with facts, you would think. But people seem to, you know, confuse the two very, very easily. Garrett says, Jonathan, just sit down. All the way in the back of the classroom, by the way. Um, so, you know, so they've, they've reversed affirmative action. Um, what does this mean in real terms now? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I saw a quote here, us, uh, president Joe Biden said that he strongly disagreed with the decision with a much anticipated decision. And he was quoted as saying, we cannot let this decision be the last word. Discrimination still exists in America. Why do people think discrimination and even race based discrimination does not exist in America. I think people want to fool themselves. I think they want to believe we've had these uh, Civil Rights Act, uh, Civil Rights Act of uh, 1957, 1964, um, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, Title IX, Title VII. I mean, people like to think that we've had so much legislation and um, the end of like segregation in schools and in employment and in higher education, that suddenly there's equality. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, there is not. There's not equality and there is not equity. That's what we're still fighting for. Mm-hmm. Racism still exists. And we can you can look at statistics that will will tell you that even beyond those who are actually attending uh, elite public and private institutions or higher ed institutions or who are getting hired in, in, in jobs or even in employment or versus unemployment rates. You always have black and brown people who are on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we talk about infant mort- mortality rates mm-hmm. and those who have access to health care, we look yeah. at the wealth gap. I mean, I mean, the fact that white people make 10 times Mm. or have 10 times the amount of wealth, excuse me, don't make 10 times because wealth is different than income, but have 10 times the amount of wealth Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than African-Americans, right? And African-Americans built the United States, literally with blood, sweat and tears, built the United States. Um, Native Americans had their land taken from them. They are indigenous to the United States and land was taken from them. 
and then African-Americans and natives also help mm -hmm. build the United States and have gotten not paid or any credit for it. that's when that young man was asking about reparations. That is a whole other show and couple of shows. But the point is there should not be that wealth gap. Yeah. That should that should not exist if these particular civil rights acts have been actually doing what they're supposed to do. Hmm. But the problem is that there are still practices that are in place to keep that gap in existence. Like hmm. when you talk about legacies, you know, if hmm. if Harvard and UNC Chapel Hill as well, because they consider all these public and private schools um, have these le legacies programs as part of their policies, mm. right? Their, their SATs and GPAs don't matter as much. It only matters mm. who they're related to and who they know or how much money is uh, donated to the university. Um, you know, uh, we can even think about Donald Trump, for example. Mm. He, he was accepted mm -hmm. into the University of Pen Pennsylvania mm. into the Wharton because his father gave a ton of money Mm -hmm. to the institution. And he was a C and D student in high school. Okay. So, you know, he was a C student even at Wharton. <laughs> right. So, but, you know, but we're supposed to think, cause he brags yeah. about it all the time. Oh, I'm from Wharton. I went to, well, yes, you did, but you also cannot string sentences together. You mm -hmm. cannot even use proper words or terms yeah. that exist. You just make them up. And, uh, and so, but yet we, you know, he can brag about that. He can yeah. brag about being a billionaire, even yeah. though his father gave yeah. him that money and most of it, he threw away. Right. He was still able to get access to bank loans and lines of credit and all this stuff that nobody else definitely have access to. And, and most even Caucasian people who don't have that connection, the bank would never even look at you. The bank would oh, be yes. like, you've got to be kidding. I so, mean, you know, we have to be real about these things. Here's something of interest when you were talking about healthcare. This came to mind about, um, uh, you know, what's being called the Black maternal health crises. Yes. Just in May of this year, John Hopkins, uh, Bloomberg School of Public Health, um, talked about, they did a special three-part series on, um, you know, the heightened risk faced by Black birthing people in the U.S. and the history of racism uh, behind the crises and what can be done to address it by policymakers, hospitals, and practices, even community advocates and a new generation of medical trainees. So it's shocking to know that uh, Black women who give birth are more likely to experience life-threatening conditions like preeclampsia, yes. postpartum hemorrhage, blood clots, as well as an increased incidence of other pregnancy-related complications like preterm birth and um, low birth weight. And there is, you know, a connection to um, when you look at the National Bureau of Economic Research, even some of the wealthiest Black women in California are still at a higher risk of maternal mortality than the least wealthy white women. That's Absolutely. not a coincidence, right? CDC data shows that Black women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than their white counterparts. Again, a lot of it is maternal deaths and things that can be easily prevented. Absolutely. I mean, you we in the United States, Serena Williams, mm -hmm. you know, who is known around the world for being one of the great greatest uh, tennis stars to in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, she 
almost died herself from hemorrhage after giving birth. Well, you know, she had a, a cesarean section, as many women do, and she almost died herself. And if it wasn't for the fact that she insisted, she went to the hospital numerous times and saying something doesn't right, I'm in pain, something's not right. And they just ignored her. And she had to insist that her doctor see her and check her out. And it's a good thing that she did because she would have died. Mm -hmm. She would have hemorrhaged and died. And she is known around the world as one of the greatest tennis stars to ever exist, right? Can you, can around the world. Yes. Around the world. Yes. And of right. course, money money was no object there. She's married to one of the richest people in the world as well. Exactly. So, um, you know, but for the fact that she's a woman of color, she would have been taken seriously the first time she went and lodged a complaint about her health issues. Right. And then re most recently, that track star, I believe, um, Tori Bowie, um, died while um, she was suffering from um, a, a preeclampsia mm -hmm. and uh, did not, could not get to the hospital, couldn't get to a phone to um, call an ambulance and started hemorrhaging and was giving mm -hmm. birth at the same time and died at her home. Mm. Um, while get while giving birth, but she could not, she could not do anything. She, her, her blood pressure got so high, her body started naturally, mm -hmm. um, giving birth to her child mm -hmm. and she died right in her home, mm -hmm. um, and was found later, hours wow. later. And so Nita, it's so crazy. Sita says that good history lessons. Um, thanks a lot needs, uh, that's a lot needs to learn. Delroy says, why don't the black billionaires, don't give up some of theirs. Why die and leave it in the banks? Makes no sense to me. Can't blame white people anymore. We're the problem. I can't disagree. How many with black that. billionaires do we have? Do we know? I mean, it wouldn't be no. as, it wouldn't be as many as probably Delroy thinks to solve no. any real problems. No. No. I saw Rupert. I think it was Rupert Murdoch the other day that said he could he could wipe away. The U.S. debt, which is in the trillions of dollars, if given, I think he said like five or 10 minutes or something. Delroy, mm -hmm. I challenge you to show me which African-American billionaire has that power. Even the power to say it, much as I think that it's a real possibility. I'll, I'll wait on the answer, Delroy, to see if you can tell me. Right. Um, I, I know there aren't as many that exist as we think. Um, I mean, being a billionaire is, is, is different. I look like there's 10 of them. Hold wealthy, on. Right? I, I got a list here. You know, I, I like, I like research and I like facts. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Um, 10 black billionaires in America. So, um, this is according to billionaires. Well, let me, let me find another source. Cause I'm not so sure that that's the most accurate one. Hold on. Let me see if I can have Forbes or somebody talking about it. Um, so Delroy, you expect 10 people who are billionaires and happen to be black to fix the world's problems. And then all the others that are white and Caucasian, they're going to sit back and do what exactly? I mean, is it interesting? Listen, I, I, I believe in, um, diversity at all levels. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people say that, and then they're not going to be, they're not going to break bread with an Asian person or a mm -hmm. black person here in the Caribbean. Oh yeah, I say that, but I'm not gonna break bread with, um, you know, a Jamaican or a Caymanian from the other side of this little small island. To me, those things can be really, really ridiculous and really, really stupid. 
Um, you know, even in my personal life, I was talking, I was joking yesterday about loving all flavors of the rainbow and all flavors of chocolate. You know, I have dated white people with, from German descent. My ex-husband was white with blue eyes. I, you know, married to a Jamaican man at the moment, you know, to me, it, it doesn't matter. Um, you should try to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Cause sometimes it really is just about experiencing different culture and different people and just being open-minded enough to accept people for who they are. But that also does not mean that I um, am blinded to the history of mm -hmm. what has happened to people. And I'll tell you what, Dana, this is a very, very interesting personal story. I was one of those Caribbean um, people who, even though I, I grew up and lived in the States for 15 years, when I was at USF, I still had this belief that, you know, oh, race isn't that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. Set it to the side. You know, just work hard and you'll get places in life. Didn't really understand the historical impact of race. And this is why mm -hmm. learning the American history is so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even our own Caribbean history. Mm -hmm. But my very last term at USF, I had some credits that I just had to make up credits. So, you know, this is when you're going to take whatever you can, basket weaving, <laughs> just to be like, okay, let me hurry up and get out of here. No more money left. I need to get on to get a real job or to continue on to that master's or whatever else it is that you're going to do. And um, I saw in the syllabus, it was a course and it was an online course, which back in these days, this was like the mid 1990s, oh, 95, yeah. 96, it was really unusual to have an online course, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it was an online course called, um, oh, Af it was like black history or African-American history, but it's focused on a specific period of time mm -hmm, in the historical mm -hmm. context. So a lot of it was like the fifties and sixties and whatever. And you know what? I learned so much in that class and I walked away with a greater understanding in particular of the African-American experience, which yes. is in many respects unique and different. And I thought about it. There are people who are alive in America today who either their parents or maybe even them, depending on how old they are, were slaves. Right. And they are a product of mm -hmm. the John Crow mentality. They've seen lynching. They've seen mm -hmm. some really horrific things mm -hmm. that the vast majority of us cannot relate to. And this course showed videos and pictures of people who were hung from trees and who were lynched, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, my God, how can human beings yes. be capable of this type of behavior and do this to people just based on the color of your skin? Because right. you cut and we all cut the same. We all bleed the same. Mm -hmm. You know, slave mm -hmm. farms, mm -hmm. um, you know, forcing women uh, who were raped and sexually abused to just produce because it was cheaper right. Right. to produce your own slaves than to bring them right. in from Europe right. and pay that, yeah, that price. And, you know, I was watching a, a video the other day on this on YouTube and it was talking about how slave farms Mm -hmm. were so popular in, mm -hmm. in such mm -hmm. money-grabbing business mm -hmm. that it was more lucrative at one point than actually the owning of the plantation itself. If wow. you could produce enough yes. right, you could then yes. sell them for a premium price. Right. And so there were people who started out in the plantation business who quickly became just producers of slaves. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, in the... Well, first, let me say this. The United States only had about 4% of the world's slaves, right? 
-hmm. There were far more slaves in the Caribbean islands, right? Mm -hmm. In South America, Central America, than there were even in the United States. But like you talked about the brutality, the, the, the termination of looking at those enslaved as, as, as property, not humans, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, you know, has gone on for years and still exists in many respects um, because the, you still have lynching that exists. I mean, example, George Floyd, um, mm -hmm. which I'm sure you're probably familiar with that story in the mm -hmm. United States. Uh, so it still exists. Uh, and, you know, what I have never understood, and I think is, is, is probably a raise on a lot of people, mm -hmm. is there has been proof positive that every human being, mankind began in, on the continent of Africa. And race is just a social, which has become a political and legal construction, an economic construction. The only thing that makes us different is melanin. We all have melanin. Just some have less than others, depending on where your, your long distance relatives migrated to from the continent. And, and we have more genetics that are similar Right. Like, in fact, if you know, you said you were in the United States for maybe about 15 years, but you've mm -hmm. spent most mm -hmm. of your life in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So m your genetics are probably more similar to those who may be of a lighter or white skin in the Caribbean than mine in the United States. Mm -hmm. Why? Because our genetics are based on geography. Mm -hmm. And when I did Ancestry.com, right, mm -hmm. and found that you know, my my ancestors have been in the U.S. Um, well, at least, I mean, I was able to at least get back to the early 1800s. Um, mm -hmm. And I also know that I, that is like many of us have that white blood, because like I said, mm -hmm. race is a social construction that is mm -hmm. Scottish and Irish and um, from, you know, English and Wales. Uh, it, you know, I have more genetic similarity to white people who have the same ancestry in the U.S. as I do, meaning we may be third, fourth, fifth generation in the U.S. Yes. So our genetics are more similar than perhaps mm -hmm. you and my genetics, because geographically, mm. I've been in the same place with those who have less melanin in the mm. U.S. than you and I, who have the same amount, you know, similar amount of melanin, but you've been in the Caribbean most of your mm -hmm. life, and maybe your ancestors have been as well. Hmm. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know here in the um, in the Caribbean, you know, a lot of people are uh, I even see it here in the Cayman Islands. A lot of people are wanting to claim their white ancestry, even if it's a very, very small part. You know, I, I did mm -hmm. my 23 and me and, you know, about 19, 20 percent European mm -hmm. out of the UK, whatever. I'm right. not jumping on that. Like, oh yes, let me let me clean, let me go ahead and clean my English accent to be there. You know, mm -hmm. but I find that again, it, it's a matter of self love and appreciation, mm -hmm. right? If I'm eighty percent something, why am I going to be jumping up and down? But oh, can I tell you about my Scottish um, ancestry? No, <laughs> nobody don't care about that. You're black. You're <laughs> you know? black, exactly, and, and exactly. In America, that were you know created by um, you know uh, racist people said if you have one ounce. One of drop. Negro blood, you are black mm -hmm. for everything. Right. And yet there are people who you look at them and you're like, mm, 
you try to pass for white, but let's do a DNA test and you find out, oh my God, I'm 70%, you know, this or that. Uh, and you, yes. talk about, you talk about melanin and this is so interesting because many years ago I was listening to an NPR program mm -hmm. and there was a guy who lived his entire life as an African-American, as a black guy. Mm -hmm. When these DNA tests became available, he took a DNA test and lo and behold, he's not black at all. Oh, really? I mean, <laughs> his 1%. Right. Right? right. Like yeah. He came out looking, you know, and, and his entire family accepted that they were black people when in fact they were not. And he, right. it was such a fascinating show because then the premise of the interview was if you could relive your life as a white person, what would that mean for you? Because you're right. actually white. Right, right. Oh, I mean, like, oh my God. But see, that's a prime example of how race is just a social construct, right? That has become a political, economic, and legal one, right? Yeah. So we always have to check these boxes on everything we do yeah, um, to talk America, about. It's so crazy. It, it, on everything, right? Yeah. No, you're applying for loans if you are, yeah. the census, of course, is a prime example. Mm -hmm. It's all based. And so, yeah, this, this, this family, this, this gentleman that was on this show, you know, he probably was very fair skinned, but that was because of melanin, but the dominant gene, right? His dominant gene, he thought, oh, I must be African-American because his skin was a little darker than maybe the lightest of, of white people that he had been around and just assumed that, but mm -hmm. then does this test and we're like, oh no, I may be, I'm Irish, Scottish. I'm, you know, what we call white, but what we call white is just mm -hmm. less melanin for based on where you had ancestors migrate to from mm -hmm. the continent of Africa. <laughs> people don't like to believe it, Mm -hmm. uh, but it is true. And so, you know, you go back far enough, um, you know, thousands of years, if you had family who migrated to those uh, parts of the world where there was less sun, there was less need to have darker skin and mm -hmm. thicker hair to protect you from the sun. Mm -hmm. And uh, so thousands of years of having ancestors there, yes, your skin's going to look white. Your mm -hmm. hair may be thinner and blonder and all of those things. We're not going to talk about eye color because I'm sure all of us know plenty of people with darker skin who have green, gray, hazel, blue eyes, right? So it's not as much about that either. But the, the, the melanin in your skin, the thickness um, and texture of your hair is basically based mm -hmm. on where their ancestors over thousands of years mm -hmm. lived and, and, and migrated to, or were forced to migrate to yeah. whether it was the Caribbean or South America or, you know, and even the United States, but they were, they were coming from the African continent where you had, you're close to the equator. It's very hot. <laughs> you need to have that more melanin and, you know, and that thicker hair to help protect you. And mm -hmm. so that's all it is, but yeah. it was, you know, in the United States, at least, I mean, I'm sure it's definitely different mm -hmm. um, across the world, but in the United States, in the 1600, mid 1600s, where you had black people who were enslaved, who were indentured servants, along with white people and mm -hmm. Native Americans who were indentured servants or enslaved, um, decided to rebel, what's called um, Bacon's Rebellion. And Nathaniel Bacon, who was um, 
white color, um, you know, brought up this, you know, he wanted to rebel against the planters class. Um, those who were, who were plantation owners and, and producing all the different, uh, you know, cotton and rice and tobacco and, and were using slaves and indentured servants to work the land. They decide to rebel. But prior to that time, um, there were black and white and, you know, yellow and red. And I'm using that mm -hmm. because that's actually written in the early Supreme Court case when talking about the difference between white and non-white. Oh, really? They actually say black, red. you know, bright red, yellow, <laughs> black. Yeah, they actually use that. It's just hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let, let's read a few comments here. Uh, we've got uh, Ava says, I love this program. It's very informative. Natasha says, thank you, Sandy, for having these amazing experts on your show and furthering people's education. This is so vital. Uh, Theophilus says, it really, it's really sad because no one can choose their skin color. Natasha says the U.S. is going back a century or two in this time at the moment. We'll never move uh, back there. Gina says, so true. I think if everyone did the 23andMe DNA test, our eyes would be opened. And by the way, Gina and I, turns out we're cousins based <laughs> on their 23andMe results. I love it. Uh, Gina says, I went to college in Arkansas and Mississippi. And one thing that came up was that um, I could always pass as white. I never uh, had to think about that until I went to college in two Southern states. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tropical Boutique says, Sandy, speak the truth. And Delroy says, that doesn't add up. Um, Africa is the only place man evolved from on the planet. Delroy, please, my friend, you have got to educate yourself. Mm -hmm. You see this, that statement, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but that statement is why we have people like Dana on the show. It's why sometimes as much fun as we have on this program, and as much as we want to talk about some of these social issues, we got to get back to basics. Because unfortunately, a lot of people don't have the basic knowledge and understanding. Scientists are sure that mm -hmm. Homo sapiens, which mm -hmm. are our predecessors, mm -hmm. right, first evolved in Africa. So mm -hmm. that means that every person alive today can trace their genetic ancestry there at some point. Can, do I need to say that again? Yes, all of us evolved from Africa. Mm-hmm. Yes. The research it, has shown it time and time again. Yes, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. Yes. So began in one single East or South African population that eventually spread into Asia and Europe. Mm -hmm. Go and look it up. Yes. National History Museum has a very interesting article, um, Delroy, on this. You've got to, because everything that you think and everything that you say flows from the fact that you don't even know that the human race came from Africa. Mm -hmm. So even when you made a comment about, oh, African-American billionaires, why don't they solve the world problem? It's like, folks, come on. Callie, thank you. Caribbean history. She says, do your research. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ava says, we all have the mother gene out of Africa. These things are important. It is critical for you to expand your knowledge base and your understanding of the world beyond what your mama told you or your grandma told you, because they didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. That's and oftentimes why Africa is called the motherland, right? Because exactly. that's where every, yes. we have access. This is the part that really kind of grinds me now, right? We have the access. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it might not always be equal because there's still a lot of places in the world that don't have internet penetration and this, that, and the next thing. But by and large, there is greater access today to information. You just got to make sure your information is accurate and pay attention to the sources that you're getting it from. Because with the social media and all this stuff, not all information is good or accurate information. But there is a lot of good and accurate information out there. You know, uh, there's a publication, Trends in Ecology and Evolution. Um, you know, go and have a look at that. I mean, you, you, you gotta, you gotta educate yourself. Don't stay where you are from the perspective of your knowledge base. Never remain stagnant in your knowledge. That's why I say people sometimes, oh, do you think you know everything? I'm like, I am the first person in the world to want to learn more and to admit that I know very little. In fact, you know, share the information with me. I'm willing to soak it in and take it up. That's why I love inviting people like Ms. Dana here on the program because she's an expert in a particular area. Good morning, Carla. Welcome to the program. Morning. Um, I'd like to ask your guest if she could share with us um, what some of the concepts that would have existed in the Jim Crow laws and the Black laws that made those laws wrong so in terms of jim crow so well i will say during reconstruction um when we were when when in the united states when you had your 14th amendment your 13th amendment what was supposed to abolish slavery or in any type of involuntary servitude your 15th amendment um, addressing voting. That was during a reconstruction error. But as we moved into, um, and particularly in the South, as you move beyond reconstruction, you have Black codes that still existed in, in the South and in places like South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, where Black people had to um, uh, be in the house at a certain time at night, or they would be arrested. They had to have ha- employment or they could be arrested or killed. Uh, And then in terms of Jim Crow, we moved into that time as well. And it it specifically took hold after the case of Plessy v. Ferguson, which is 1896. That is the case that brought about the separate but equal um, uh, concept or or law. And as so, so let's think about um, this idea of one drop of black blood. So, where you had Plessy, who by appearance looked white, and was uh, seventh eighth, seven eighth white, <laughs> but one eighth black, uh, gets into a rail car in Louisiana mm-hmm. that was designated for white people, not for black people. And in the law in Louisiana was that you had to have separate uh, rail cars based on the color of your skin. Someone happened to know that Plessy, who lived his life as a white person, Mm -hmm. um, had this one eighth black blood and Mm -hmm. um, was told to move to the black rail car. Mm -hmm. He refused to do so. And so he was arrested, um, thrown in jail. But what advanced to the Supreme Court and was decided in 1896 um, was uh, that although he may be white to the eye, Mm -hmm. that one eighth black blood 
meant that he had to abide by the Louisiana law and any other laws where there's a separation by, of the races, right? Mm -hmm. Which means he should have moved to the black rail car. He should have been arrested by not complying with the law. And so that is that established this mandate of separate but equal and Jim Crow law and separating people by race, having separate schools, which, by the mm -hmm. way, already existed. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, in the decision in Plessy v. Ferguson, they cited a case that came out of the Massachusetts Supreme Court in 1849, Roberts v. City of Boston, where um, par uh, parents had challenged the law in Massachusetts where black children mm -hmm. are children of color because it in included you know, um, those students who are also Asian or Latino or that they just they mm -hmm. were non they were non-white had to go to a different school than white children and parents challenged it. And the Supreme Court of Massachusetts established this idea that they are a different social class. They are not on the same level simply based on their race. And so that it that the law to separate the races in schools is is legal and constitutional based on that Massachusetts Constitution, and so it was Plessy v. Ferguson who then followed, even though it's a it was a United States Supreme Court followed a state Supreme Court law and cites it and also goes on and uses similar language by saying that um, although we have equal protection under the laws under the Fourteenth Amendment. Um, no legislation can make people equal in, on social class. Um, people have the right to be separated for those who are of a lesser class. And so equal, mm -hmm. as long as you still have the same rights, they don't have to be in the same place. And that's when Jim Crow was born. Separate mm -hmm. bathrooms, restaurants, hotels, schools, mm -hmm. water fountains, um, sitting on the back of the bus. Right. Mm -hmm. A separate section, even on a bus. You have access to the bus. That's equal protection. You just can't sit with those who are of a higher class because of their white identity. And wow. so that was that was Jim Crow. And that what that is what then, like as I mentioned earlier, Thurgood Marshall mm -hmm. and Charles Hamilton Houston working for the NAAC Legal Defense Fund, challenged on a higher education level from the mid-1930s up until 1950s, mm -hmm. where we then know about Brown v. Board. That was mm -hmm. argued numerous times before it was finally decided in 1954. Um, but prior to that, they were fighting in higher education and at least got the Supreme Court to say that that education has to be substantially equal. Doesn't have to be completely equal, but substantially equal. And in mm -hmm. some cases, one to the point where um, they had to let black students into particular graduate programs or undergraduate programs because mm -hmm. there was not a similar HBCU that had that particular doctorate or had, that law, had a law school. And so if they wanted to be educated in their state, and that there wasn't a black law school or a black medical school, the white university had to accept them. So they were starting to break down those laws in higher education, but they took on a whole other fight when you're talking about young children in Brown v. Board. And so, you know, parents put up a much bigger fight than, you know, mm -hmm. people didn't care as much when you're talking about adults. But once it came down to K to 12, and then that's when we, 
you know, really started hearing more about the civil rights movement that became very active in the 50s as well um, because of these different laws in terms of buses and where you sit on buses, right? Um, th that's where we had the, 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 the uh, march, the, the march in Montgomery. Uh, but then there was also the difference in how workers were being treated because of union differences, right? Because mm -hmm. of teachers, in fact, and school leaders who were treated differently and paid differently and couldn't be unionized um, because they had they were separate from their white counterparts who were doing the exact same work. So mm -hmm. all the civil rights movement was happening at the same time that we know about, like Brown v. Board one and two in 1954, 1955. Mm -hmm. But you had um, the the um, SNCC and you also had which Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was working with that young youth group. And John Lewis, um, our, our late great senator, was a part of that group, were also um, fighting for civil rights and to end Jim Crow laws during, the, during that time in the 50s. And then, of course, in the 1960s, which led us to those Civil mm. Rights Act mm. or acts. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So I hope I answered your question in terms of Jim Crow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what what um, what mechanisms are used today to achieve the same goals that were sought after um, back then? Um, like, mm -hmm. and how do they how do they con con continue to implement those views and 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 like in practical terms, how does a human experience mm -hmm. the the discrimination? today. Mm. Okay. So um, one significant way mm -hmm. that I did not mention, and I'm going to go back that back to that 13th Amendment that abolished slavery, except for that loophole, except if you are in prison, you will can work for free. Mm -hmm. That involuntary servitude is constitutional under the 13th Amendment. And what do we see in our prison systems in the United States, mm -hmm. which is the largest prison industrial complex in the world, or a, a prison system that is made up of predominantly black and brown people? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there five to 10 times the amount of those in prison are black or brown mm -hmm. versus white. They get longer prison sentences. So they are now the slaves of today. If you read, I don't know if you're familiar with Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. Um, it, it, they just, that book just celebrated, I believe it's 10th year. I think uh, she had a, a, a new edition that came out um, because of that uh, 10th year of, of this book being in existence, and it's been on the best New York Times bestseller list for, for, for years, um, tells that story of how we continue to enslave um, Black people, particularly in, with the prison industrial complex. And then you also mm -hmm. have mi uh, numerous states, namely in the South, that bar former felons from voting ever again. Mm. And so imagine if you have this high percentage of black men and women who are in prison and then they come out, they serve their time, but because they committed a felony, some states it's only if it's a violent felony, some mm. if it's any felony, 
um, can no longer vote ever again, hmm. right? That limits your voice and the, um, the ability to, to change or challenge any of these inequities that exist in society. Hmm. So a lot of what we see comes through our criminal and legal justice system. And then I also mentioned um, the, the wealth gap, wealth being those who have home ownership, business ownership, they have more revenue coming in than leaving, right? They have this very impressive balance sheet of assets than compared to liabilities. And so white people have 10 times the amount of wealth of black people. Mm. And that has existed across the board. If you look at education. And can I just ask you a quick question about the incarceration bit? Is yeah. that regardless of what you're incarcerated for? That some states block you for vote from voting? If so, like I said, if it's a violent, some states say only if it's a violent felony. So okay. if you were convicted for rape or murder, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, then yeah, you'll be blocked from voting. Or right. in some cases, it's even if uh, you may be blocked from voting until all of your fines and restitution is paid. And, and oftentimes because of interest, it's thousands, thousands of dollars. It's never paid, so they can never vote. But then in other states, it's any felony. So it could have been a minor drug charge. Mm -hmm. It could have been, um, I mean, I, I'm thinking about in Florida right now, for example, um, it is a felony to continue to, for, for librarians, for example, to continue to have banned books in the library, which by the way is unconstitutional, but to continue to have banned books in the library is like a third degree felony to in a library. Yes. Could be convicted of that. So um, now Florida voted, um, which has been five years ago, five or six years mm -hmm. ago now, um, Florida citizens voted for those who are ex felons to have the right to vote again. But how the supermajority of conservatives in the legislature held that up and this was hmm, interestingly during the, the during the first run, um, Governor DeSantis was running for governor, um, mm -hmm. and that's just when he was running against. Well, I can't even remember his name. The black man he ran against. Mm -hmm. um, what they did is to to hold up those uh, ex felons who now had the right to vote was requiring them to pay restitution before they would have access to vote. So mm -hmm. at that time, Andrew Gillum, that's his name. That was the black man that um, was running against uh, Governor, current Governor DeSantis in that first election. And, and, and at that time, I think he only won by like 30,000 votes, DeSantis over Gilliam. But it was, I don't know, about a couple hundred thousand ex-felons who could mm -hmm. not vote mm -hmm. in that election because the legislature passed a law, even though the citizens voted, they should have about a landslide. Ex-felons should have the right to vote again. Uh, the legislature held it up by saying, no, not until they pay all of their fines and restitution. Mm -hmm. So imagine how different that election would have, would, would have been mm -hmm. if the legislature had not passed that law right before that first election that DeSantis only won by 30,000 votes because the majority wow. of those over a hundred thousand people who, um, and, right, 
And not, let's not mention those who were just dropped from the roles, right? And, and let's put this in context, right? Among men, um, African-American men, 28.5% are about twice as likely as Hispanic men, 16%, mm -hmm. and six times more than likely as their white counterparts at 4.4% to be admitted to prison during their life. And again, the facts are there. It doesn't matter what the offense is. You're more likely to go to prison if you're black. That's right. As simple as that. So um, we do and have, have longer sentences and have and longer, get longer sentences. So Derek mm -hmm. says people like her are the reason crime is so high right now. So we're going to blame crime on people like you, Dana. Mm -hmm. uh, she wants to release all black and brown criminals based on skin color. Did you at some point say that during the show? Uh, no, not at all. Did not say that. Okay. So Derek, you got to pay attention. Um, Denny, anything else for us? Yeah. One more question. Um, how does either law enforcement or other agencies of government use discretion, or I should I say abuse discretion to achieve those same ends? So, so uh, once again, so let's, let's also step back. Um, and this is something that um, I think Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton were, um, were, were really slammed on, and probably rightfully so, I guess, in some, in some cases, that um, if you, there was a law that passed that three times you're out, those three strikes you're out, that you are, you, you go to prison and you go to prison for a long amount of time, regardless of what the crime was. So you had a lot of black and brown people, for example, uh, who were petty drug dealers, or they may have stolen a car. And this could even take place during a time they were juveniles, right? Um, you know, or just becoming adults, let's say 18. But you have some states, even where 16, you are tried as an adult, right? Regardless of what the crime is. And so uh, let's say you stole a car. Let's say you were caught with um, a couple of ounces of marijuana. And, and then, you know, the third time, let's say you had a registered gun on you. Three strikes, you're out. You are now going to prison and you're going to prison for a long time because that third strike compounded with the other two felonies, even though we may consider those minor, like petty felonies, um, the judges have discretion on how they may sentence you if you are found guilty. And once again, ton of literature on unconscious or implicit bias in juries and being tried by your peers. Um, and even if, even if some of those peers are the same, the same color as you, because mm -hmm. unconscious mm -hmm. bias, it doesn't matter your race, gender, and so on and so forth. We all have them. And mm -hmm. so you're then convicted. All right. And then the judge sentences you and has a wide discretion on that sentence that you may receive. You may receive a suspended sentence all the way up to 20 years or 25 years in prison, let's say for that gun charge. Oftentimes what would happen to black and brown people and more so to black people is the judge would then sentence them based on that gun charge that upwards of 20 and 25 years. Even though that was the third strike and the other two strikes was an ounce of marijuana and, uh, you know, joy riding in the stolen car. Mm -hmm. And so that's how the system is perpetuated because of those sentencing guidelines. So we, you know, 
on the news for years and it definitely comes out during election seasons, um, and, you know, being soft on crime or how hard you are on crime and whether, the, you know, and definitely during the presidential and seasons um, that this this idea of trying to change sentencing guidelines um, because of the inequities that exist um, against black and brown people um, will determine whether or not you're soft on crime or if you're you know, big on crime. So the person who made the comment by saying, oh, we should release people based on their color. No, if you commit the crime, you do the time, but you should not be forced to do the time mm -hmm. longer than your white counterpart, or you were found guilty because you have a public defender because you can't afford a high-powered attorney, mm -hmm. a busy public defender who does not have time to try every defense. single case, right, to give you proper defense and try every single case and mm -hmm. ask you to plea out. Yeah. And you plead out and plead guilty, you're definitely getting a higher sentence. Versus if you are white, wealthy, or just have the right connections, you can hire an attorney who will, um, who will plead you out for lesser or will have you go to trial where you are found not guilty because prior to that gun charge and that ounce of marijuana that you had and that petty joyriding theft that's mm -hmm. on your record, you know, they're also talking about how you were a choir boy most of your life and mm -hmm. how you volunteer at the pet shelter every Sunday and mm -hmm. how you mm -hmm. are on scholarship at the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you're not going to ruin your life by, by, by sending you to prison. We're going to give you community service and you can go enjoy that scholarship at the University of Michigan. Hmm. Not guilty. Mm -hmm. So that's if, how it's if had, oftentimes. If, if you had unilateral authority, what change would you make? in the constitution to address the issues that you see are wrong? Well, the first thing, the first thing I would do in terms of the checks and balances that are supposed to exist in our constitution, the structure of our government, the, we have the legislative branch, the executive branch and the judicial branch. Mm -hmm. And what we have learned is that the judicial branch is not really checked at mm -hmm. all. They are not held to any ethical standards. Mm -hmm. They serve a lifetime term. Mm -hmm. And so I, that would be one of the first things I would change. Number one, um, no more lifetime appointments. Mm -hmm. um, you can be appointed and you have a, maybe a term of 10 years or 15 years, or maybe even this age requirement mm -hmm. of, you know, 75 years, you have to retire. Um, but 10 to 15 years, that's it. And that's for this reason, like what we have found out over the past several months is Justice Clarence Thomas has been, um, and uh, Justice, um, I don't want to get it wrong, but I believe it's Alito or Gorsuch, uh, but I don't want to get it wrong. So I'll have to go uh, look it up. But it's one of the other more conservative justices have been wined and dined and going on on yachts and vacations 
with these very wealthy Republican donors. In fact, one particular Republican donor who's given a lot to um, Republican um, uh, politicians around the country, and particularly those running for president who are running as Republicans, have been has been doing this for the entire time. Justice Thomas has been a Supreme Court justice, which has been since the 1980s. Uh, he took the place of our beloved Thurgood Marshall. And so, um, and this man even brought, bought his mother, Thur um, excuse me, Clarence Thomas's mother, a house. <laughs> and, um, but because there are no ethical standards mm -hmm. to police, Right, the Supreme Court, even though these standards exist for the executive branch and for the legislative branch, like you will be impeached as a president, right? As part of the executive branch, if this happened, um, you know, or could be, that doesn't exist for the Supreme Court. Mm. So, you know, while that's not, you know, in the Constitution, I would take away the lifetime appointments mm -hmm. and, and in term limits and age limits. And then um, in terms of legislation, mm -hmm. I would require ethical guidelines that don't exist right now. And that's why nothing is happening to Clarence Thomas or the other justice wow. who takes all these money and gifts. They don't have to, they don't have to, re, re, well, they can, they have to report certain gifts, but they've not reported this and it's been okay because there's no ethical mm. standards. Wow. Shocking. Right. Um, well, well, thank you for your time. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for your questions. Real, real eye opener here today. Uh, Balika says, I've read Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow. It has parallels with Lennon Christian's Caymanian justice system regarding how it disadvantages Caymanians um, in our own context. Um, we have um, Tamikia says, I'm from South Carolina. I love this show, Sandy. I understand all that she's talking about. A lot of people have experienced it. Gina says, thank you. No lifetime appointment. Mm -hmm. um, Cameron is asking about your political affiliation because um, people in America always think that your political affiliation has, um, you know, something to do with your ideology around race and that sort of thing. So he wants to know if you're a Democrat. I am. I am a registered Democrat. Um, it doesn't mean that I always vote Democrat. I haven't always voted Democrat. I vote um, based on ethics, morals, issues, not one particular issue like abortion, where you have some people who are Republicans only, you know, because of that issue mm -hmm. uh, or certain issues. I, uh, I always do my research on candidates um, and I vote based on moral ethics and those I think will really be good, honest leaders. But I am a registered Democrat and I'm not ashamed of saying that because um, mm -hmm. I just try to educate people on facts. And sometimes mm -hmm. those facts don't always play in favor of Democrats. Mm -hmm. All right. All right, folks. Uh, 936-2626. Um, we're going to start to wrap up with our guests a little bit here now. Um, I've got Balika saying that even in Cayman, we have a um, complaint against, we have a complaint procedure against judges, though it's ineffective and a code of conduct. Surely the U.S. should do better. Um, so, I mean, should do better mm -hmm. and actually doing better, I guess, are two very, very different things. Tamika responding to Derek saying that she uh, does not, she's never said that uh, in reference to just letting all people out of prison who are people of color. She never said anything near that. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, Jim says none of these politicians in the U.S. have any moral ethics. Uh, the government um, of highly corrupt one party is just as bad as the other anymore. Can't disagree. <laughs> and that's why she said she votes for conscience. She, she doesn't vote party right. lines, although mm-hmm. in, in the U.S., I mean, I should know this because I obviously lived there long enough, but I didn't really get into U.S. politics. Um, do you have to register as one thing or another? You can register as an independent, right? So it depends on what... Uh, um, it depends on what state you're in, whether or not you can register as an independent or you can you can register as part like even in Florida, they have like a party called the Florida Constitution Party mm-hmm. um, and you can register as that. But the issue becomes whether or not you can vote in primaries. And so, like I mentioned, I am from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, if you are if you are not a registered Democrat or Republican, you cannot vote in the primary. Mm-hmm. And if you are a registered Democrat or Republican, you have to vote your party in the primary. Mm-hmm. Now, you can vote for whoever you want in the general election, but in the primary, mm-hmm. you have to vote your party. Hmm. And it's like that in many states. So you can... You can register in some states, in a lot of states these days, as an independent or in one of these other parties that exist. Um, but um, whether or not you can actually vote in the primaries is what makes the difference because you're, you may not have the candidate you want come the general election because you are barred from voting in the primaries. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, uh, Ms. Dana, thank you so much. This has been extremely enlightening, I for sure. Um, have learned a lot uh, from your discussion today. I do want to invite you back on the program at some I'd point. I'd love to. I'd um, love to come back. You know, because this is just absolutely amazing information. Yes. Um, I know I just, I'm just seeing your message. Perfect timing that you've got to go to a research <laughs> meeting as well. Um, yes. Knowledge and information, folks, is what the show um, really tries to put forward. I, I, I do make an interesting observation. Anytime we have an expert on, yes, we've still got good numbers, over 200 people still on the live stream, but it's nowhere near the number of people, if I were here talking about somebody's personal life and who they're sleeping with and who they owe money to and all these salacious things that is also part of the platform. We don't try to do that every day, but I do notice the stark difference between when people should be um, learning something and getting educated and furthering themselves versus let's just talk people business and pure sus you know, double the numbers. And I think that that says a lot about us as a people. And we have to understand that the one singular thing, uh, Weeby says very interesting class today, folks, the one singular way in which um, anybody will keep you down in this life is your lack of information, your lack of knowledge, and your lack of understanding. They can't take that away from you once you've got it in your head. Anything else they can take. They'll put financial things in place. You might not even be able to get into Harvard and Yale anymore. But you can go out there and you can learn and you can be educated. You can articulate yourself uh, and no one can take that away from you. That's right. right. And that will give you opportunities. You know, everybody's like, oh, black people must create their own opportunities. It's not as easy as that, but you're in a much better position to do so if you're educated. That's why we have to put so much emphasis on education uh, for our people across the entire globe, across the entire world. And the fact that we, even on this program, see the numbers dip and people are like, oh, I don't want to learn about that. You know, that speaks volumes to how we have been indoctrinated. We've accepted to our core the indoctrination that we're going to be dumber, we're going to be stupider than other people. And, you know, we're going to just put out misinformation out there. And that's what it is. Dana, 
Thank yeah. you so much. Can I just make one final comment? Yes. Since we were originally talking about race-based admissions in higher education. I would say maybe one bright part of the uh, Justice Roberts decision in that case is that the decision does not block students who are writing in their personal essays the opportunity to discuss race. So students can still talk about how they've overcome particular challenges um, due to racism or discrimination in their essays. So in that case, um, admissions committees don't have a choice but to consider that. So mm. and so Justice Roberts was very clear on that. The decision in saying that race cannot no longer be um, a plus factor or any decision um, in the admissions process, it does not block students from discussing it. Mm. Um, as how something and, and this is why really again you read the case and you understand what that means because you still work it in there if you're smart enough if if you're if you haven't been paying attention and you haven't read the case or the implications of the case you know you don't even put that in there you might be giving yourself one point less which could have made a difference who knows right as right. Dean says knowledge is power that's the truth yes. thank you so much we appreciate it. Thank you so much. I look forward to hopefully coming to your show Most again. Definitely. It's been, a, been an honor. Thank you. All right. We really, really appreciate it. All right, folks, let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. For 20 years, we've committed to helping the people of the Cayman Islands live longer, healthier, and happier lives. But health care and the expectations of patients are rapidly evolving, and so must we. We have made incredible clinical and technological advancements and achieved JCI accreditation, the internationally recognized gold seal of approval for patient safety and quality of care. So it's time for our image to reflect our transformation from a local hospital to a world-class healthcare authority with a new logo that symbolizes national duty and pride, a statement that reinforces our commitment to our patients every step of the way with colors as bold as our mission to provide the highest quality healthcare. Dynamic, professional, skilled, committed, caring. This is HSA. Now y'all love Popeyes for my fried chicken, but the real ones also love my salty, flaky, covered in butter biscuits. Well, biscuit fans, have I got a treat for you. Introducing new irresistible strawberry biscuits at Popeyes. The perfect balance of salty and sweet thanks to decadent strawberry bits baked right in and mouthwatering creamy icing on top. The perfect dessert for just $2.29 or grab six pieces for $12.59. Strawberry biscuits forever. Not forever, I'm afraid, honey. Limited time only and only at Popeyes Louisiana Kitchen on Eastern Avenue. Ocean Ridge Heights offers an amazing opportunity to own a piece of land in idyllic Cayman Brack, right on the bluff, starting from $80,000. Located in a quiet residential area with high elevation, these lots are ideal for a future home or investment property and are sure to go fast. Cayman Brack offers a laid-back lifestyle, amazing pristine diving, limestone caves, diverse flora, along with amazing wildlife. Inquire about the owner financing options so that you can secure your piece of paradise today. With only a few lots remaining, these are sure to go before you know it. Contact Crichton Properties today on 345-949-5250 or info at crichtonproperties.com. 
Recover personal injury attorneys, helping injured people get what they deserve. Did you know that insurance companies have lawyers that represent their interests? Before signing and accepting any settlement, know your rights. Call us today for a free consultation at 924-9999. That's 924-9999. Recover. Your personal injury attorneys are on standby to assist. All right, folks. Welcome back to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Good morning. Buenos dias. Um, So we're going to talk about one other topic here today. Um, Thank you so much for your comments. Gina says truth. Uh, Dean says knowledge is power. Miss Rosemary says so true. Um, Derek says she's talking about race here in Cayman. It's not about that. It's about your nationality. A Caymanian will go to jail um, time versus any other nationality. Again, Derek, I'm going to encourage you to really try to fact check that. Um, The thing about it is in this country, we don't collect any data based on race. So you wouldn't know that information. That's just your opinion. You cannot be basing that on anything factual because no one has collated that data. But as someone who has um, sat uh, for probably more time than most people, um, unless you're a hardcore criminal, in the penal system, looked at the criminal justice system and how it works, I can tell you that even amongst the um, quote unquote Caymanians, those who will pass as um, you know elitist and, and white, uh, they will get a different type of access to the justice in the penal system than the others. It's as simple as that. And that's a fact that again, in a way it's an opinion and an observation that I've made because I've sat there. No one can tell you uh, if someone's in jail, I suppose they can look around and try to count the, the brown people versus the lighter skinned Caymanians. And you can talk about the implications of that. But sadly, um, you know, we have to accept that that's a very real possibility here as well. Caller, good morning. Good, good morning, Sandy. Um, congratulations for having that, that guest on. Um, I will be very brief because I know that you're about to move to, to, to a new subject. Mm-hmm. You see, I, I follow these kinds of subject matters uh, very well. Uh, and, and yet, even for me, there are some little tidbits of information I didn't know which, which she was able to, 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 to bring up. But my main reason with my call is just to emphasize that if you can, I recommend to everybody in Cayman to read that book, Michelle Alexander's uh, The New Jim Crow. Mm. Uh, um, I, I read it, and I remember that when I was reading it, mm-hmm. everything in there was relating to Cayman, whatever they said about black people and how they are over-policed, over-prosecuted and Mm over-sentenced. I was just thinking of Cayman, what happens in Cayman, where, first of all, Caymanians will be discriminated against because sometimes, most of the time, not because of their race, but just because they are Caymanians. I mean, you can have a little bit of micro-racism here and there, but there isn't much of that in Cayman. And I really recommend that people should be able to read that because it will open their eyes to the uh, to the system in Cayman. And I wish that some of the st- kinds of statistics that mm-hmm. she has in that book in mm-hmm. relation to the U.S., we could have some of those statistics mm-hmm. in Cayman. And I, as, as you see, having lived in Cayman for as mm-hmm. long as I, I, I had... I, I got to know people who were related to people who were incarcerated for 15 years and this and that, and I really started to relate to that. So mm-hmm. I just recommend that book uh, uh, to anybody in Cayman. It has a lot of relevance to Cayman. Yeah. I thank you this morning. All right. Thank you thank so you. much. And again, you know, I'm a person who believes in, in facts and data and information, and I'm always shocked um, at how little of it we have available 
here in this country. Even the census, the good people over at the census, when they're trying to collect data, which then the policymakers and the politicians will make decisions on how to spend money and do all these things. We have people in this country um, who refuse to provide that information out of pure ignorance. Oh, well, I don't want them people in my business. I don't want them to know how many TVs I got and whether I got internet or how much money my, my household makes. And you know, it's just like the lack of understanding and knowledge is what is really going to be our biggest. It's Listen, the threat that we have isn't an expat threat. Okay. That's not what this is. Uh, we don't have to be afraid of, oh, expats are going to come and take my job. I was speaking about this a little bit on yesterday's program. The greatest threat we have is our people not being adequately prepared, not having the knowledge and understanding of how to move forward in this world. That is the biggest threat that we have. Our, our threat is an, an internal threat. Right, Our lack of knowledge and understanding and refusing to educate and prepare our people. That's what we should be afraid of. You're afraid of the expats. You're afraid of the wrong thing. We're the ones who are destroying our environment. We're the ones who are packed up in Northward as prisoners, repeat offenders. We're primarily the ones who are addicts and drugs, even in Cayman Brack, destroying our own little idea at Cayman Brack. That's on us. We're the ones, you know, throwing garbage everywhere, no longer caring about even how our country looks. So let's be very, very clear. Until we can address the enemy within, all the enemies without are going to have a field day because all we are doing is making the fort less enforced. We're making it easy for anyone to come in here and take advantage of our people. Our people don't even know basic human human history and human race, where the human race came from. And you you talk about that other person can get a job over you on a work permit. Y'all need to make that set in for a second. Y you understand the degree of ignorance that we're dealing with sometimes in this country? It is a scary situation, caller. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, um, thanks, Sandra, for Sandy for bringing in that lady. That was very, very um, good show. And I just have one thing to say. We as Caymanians, we suffer from two things. The fear of knowing where we came from, mm -hmm. the knowledge of knowing. And in order to do that, we need to get our, first of all, we need the education system to get um that, uh, I don't know what they call it, subject, I guess, mm. into the school mm. of history, our history. Mm. We, as, as Caymanians, don't know. So that's why we always, some of us are saying that we white, some of us say that we black, some, are, some of us are black saying that we white, and, mm -hmm. and we don't know where we originated, and we're <laughs> not accepting the facts of where we originated from. Mm -hmm. So we need to get back to learning about our history and it's not mm -hmm. taught in the schools so the education mm -hmm. need to revamp that and put that as a subject it, it must get people in like dr steve that i always say is a wealth of knowledge some other people that know so much of the history mm -hmm. dr roy all of those people mm -hmm. and give a proper you know overhaul of that um curriculum for our our school Mm -hmm. And even the colleges, to be honest, 
Okay, that's all I have to say. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um, You know, we try to give you all variety here in this program because I believe that people have the capacity to uh, be 360 individuals. Listen, nobody don't like a little stuff more than me every now and then. But my, the, the bane of my existence is not sitting down talking people business and talking sus. I would not be a successful business person if that's all I had time for. Right? That's 2% of the conversation, of the discourse. We have a lot of important topics in this country. Feel me? Anthony Blair, good morning, says, speak it 100%. John LaRue says, as an expat, now Caymanian, this is arguably the best thing I have ever heard you say ever. Wow. And I say a lot, John. Um, John so I guess that's uh, an interesting um, comment. He says the acceptance of ignorance and mediocrity in our, uh, is our biggest threat to Cayman. Um, Alejandro says, is this island called a first world country because we are still a so-called proclaimed Christian society? I don't think the two are connected. Um, Ms. Vernita says, for lack of knowledge, my people shall per- perish. Amen to that. Um, he also says we're the most judgmental country in the Caribbean. Mm, not so sure about that. John says we as Caymanians need to take responsibility and not to blame expats. Well, John, I don't know if you caught yesterday's program, but I would invite you to go back and listen to it because I touched on it in significant detail yesterday about how even as it relates to um, you know, the criminals out there, I keep hearing this rhetoric sometimes from budding politicians. They'll be sending me messages and voice notes and whatever, talking pure foolishness about, oh, it's because they're Caymanian young men can't get no work permits because these expats come in here taking their jobs and I have to stop them dead in their tracks because my brain only has so much capacity to engage in stupidity. And if you know me, you know that I'm going to respond to that type of comment. Even in a private conversation, I'm going to set the record straight and tell you to go fact check yourself. This latest young man out there robbing McRuss and Burger King has a job with Cayman Airways. And if he was motivated, because Cayman Airways is actually a really good company to work for, if he was motivated, he could be doing some additional courses and training where he would have some upward mobility within that organization. But he's motivated in the wrong way. Once a highfalutin lifestyle where he can take a photo and posted on social media, waving around $50 bills. There he is, see him right there? Waving around $50 bills. Instead of going to school and sacrificing, doing a trade, learning mechanics, something that can get you in a better position than the minimum wage at, um, at Cayman Airways. Yes, it is what it is, and you don't have to like it. Good morning, Lavana. Lavana says... Um, my family is mixed up. Uh, that's why we look like crayons. And that's the most beautiful uh, thing in the world, in my opinion, is diversity. Garrett says, I think we also need to learn about the laborers that came from Asia back in the early 1900s, too. And, you know, let's be very, very clear, Gareth. Um, even now, um, Asian workers go around the world and African workers go around the world and Caribbean workers go around the world as laborers. And, you know, slavery is supposed to be outlawed, but I can tell you that a lot of places in the world is not as outlawed as you think. There's such a thing as indentured slavery, too. Um, Read some more comments coming in on social media. This person says, such an informative show as always. Thank you um, all for all you do, Sandy. Much appreciated. Have a blessed day. Uh, Another person says, I love how you juxtapose 
local SIFs with international experts. That's why CMR is number one. Hmm. Uh, another listener says this lady is well-educated. I'm excited listening to her. Um, and they go on to say, I think you need to go into the schools and do some programs. This information needs to get into our schools. Well, good luck with that one. Let's talk about for the remaining um, portion of the show, CMR broke a story uh, late last night. We were doing some fact checking, make sure we had all our ducks lined up in a row about Gigi um, Hadid. Um, thank you so much. First lady says, love, love, love this show. I learned something new every day on this show. So Gigi Hadid, you guys might know her. She's an American celebrity. Um, her and her sister, Bella and Gigi, uh, that's not their real names. They have a very, um, their father is um, from the Middle East. And so lived in California, billionaire developer. And so they grew up in a very privileged lifestyle. Their mom is Yolanda Hadid Foster. Now she's divorced from Foster, so I don't know what her name, but she's a model as well. Some of you might know the mom a little bit more. So anyway, she came into the jurisdiction, decided to bring some of her um, marijuana utensils and personal use marijuana with her. She was arrested. Kudos to CBC. Uh, some people are asking about whether or not she received any favoritism and how her co her case was quickly adjudicated and went through the court system. But I must say <laughs> my hat's off to CBC because um, they have a knack for pulling up people just about no matter who you are. Now I'm going to invite them to start pulling up some of these MPs because I'll be wondering what they're traveling with. But anyway, um, Gigi um, is a, a model, an influencer, an American model influencer, and she did not get any special treatment from, um, you know, uh, the CBC folks in any event. They still arrested her and took her, uh, charged her and took her to court. So she was charged with a number of offenses. Her and her friends came into Cayman with marijuana. That's still unlawful in this jurisdiction and you can't do it. So once they did a bag search, they found it. She came in on, on a private jet. All the details in the article, folks, go check out the article. Came in on a private jet. Um, they immediately took her to the the the, um, the detainment um, detention center, and she was processed. Now, the question is, because she is a celebrity, did she get any special treatment? I think it's not so much that she's a celebrity. It's also that she is a foreign celebrity kind of passing through on vacation for a couple of days. There seems to be, and I often question this when people have firearms that are found in their, um, you know, bags and how quickly they can go through the penal system. There does seem to be some sort of a preference for allowing them to, um, you know, come in and out of the system very, very quickly. It was only a couple ounces. So we're not talking about she was carrying two suitcases first of, uh, full of marijuana or ganja. That's not what this was. She wasn't trafficking in it. Um, you know, it was personal use. She still should have known better. I understand that her sister has been here before, even earlier this year. Um, she's 28 years old. So, you know, um, lack of knowledge of penal codes or the law is not an excuse. So that doesn't matter. So she was charged again with ganja um, after this search, consumption. Uh, she had some ganja utensils used for consumption and a small quantity, I was told it was about two ounces of ganja as well. 
Um, the female passengers, so it was a few of them. Um, so it was her. Her real name is Jelena Nuara Hadid. I don't know where they get Gigi out of that one. But anyway, her, along with Nia Nicole McCarthy, uh, both American citizens, were um, arrested on the 10th of July after they came in on a private jet at Owen Roberts International Airport. They were then taken to court on Wednesday, July the 12th. Gigi and McCarthy appeared in summary court where they were um, you know, officially charged at the DPP's office, held them um, at the detention center where they were processed, released on bail. None of this is unusual. Nobody's going to hold you in prison and beat you with a stick for a couple ounces of marijuana, regardless of who you are. So they were charged, they pled guilty, and they were fined $1,000 each and no conviction was recorded. Uh, both parties were staying at Palm Heights. We do know that. And Gigi has since left the jurisdiction. Uh, this, again, not entirely um, unusual. The, the question that people have and where people, I guess, you know, are looking at some of the more minute details is she was permitted to go to the courthouse after three o'clock in the afternoon. By the way, her attorney was um, Mr. Um, Richard, Richie, Richard Barton. Um, and again, even the fact that she went after hours is not entirely unheard of. It has happened before. And it can be a number of different things. Now, let's be very, very clear. Because she is a celebrity, it would be very, very unusual for them to have a celebrity show up in the morning and sit in the dock for an offense of this nature in particular and sit there with all these people where a virtual or literal circus uh, would have been created because of her celebrity celebrityism. I don't know if that's really a word, but you guys know what I mean, right? So um, even that is not unusual. So people are asking me questions. Was there any interference? Because, oh, she's going to Palm Heights. You know, there's this belief that the DART organization has um, some connection to um, Palm Heights, which uh, sources there said that that's not true. They're simply the landlord of the people who run and operate Palm Heights. Other than that, they have no business in the runnings of that um, hotel at all. But, you know, did anybody interfere? Did, did, were there any, you know, phone calls that were made? In lieu of evidence that there was, I cannot jump to any conclusions. Okay? So I can only tell you what we know for sure, which is in the story, about her arrest and what happened. She went to court and so on. Was she given preferential treatment? Did anybody, say, someone said, did anybody from Palm Heights or Dart involved in the matter, uh, get involved in the matter by using their influence or power to keep all of this quiet? Obviously, they didn't keep it quiet because published on CMR. <laughs> so if that was the thing, it didn't work well. I think it just went under radar because nobody, nobody knows who Jelena Noara Hadid is. If they had said Gigi Hadid, which is her nickname, then everybody would have known. Nobody knew it was her. So as the story started to come out, as these things do and came in, you know, this person's like, oh, she's actually a celebrity. Oh, she was actually at Popo -Po Jebs. There's an actual video of her at Popo -Po Jebs singing karaoke. You know, as it came out that, oh, that's who it was. Then it became becomes a story, right? I don't think it was hidden. I think nobody just don't know who the hell Jelena Noir Hadid is. So um, there's a question here about who hired her attorney and paid her fees. Well, she can well afford to hire her own attorney and pay her own fees. The only person that can answer that question, I mean, I know for sure she didn't apply for legal aid, so we didn't pay for it. Okay. I don't know who else would have paid her fees. If she's got a rich boyfriend or lover in the Cayman Islands who wants to pay her fees, I mean, 
that's not really our business and we're not going to go that deep down the rabbit hole. Whoever wants to pay for fees, I'm sure Richard Barton, not that expensive. Gigi could afford to pay his $500 or $1,000 or whatever he charged for the court appearance. Um, so all I want to say on this is, uh, yes, yeah, she was fined $1,000. Given the amount that she had on her, there's no red flags as far as I'm concerned in terms of that. I'm not going to make a conspiracy theory out of a situation where one does not exist. What I will say is that as with all things, we expect and demand equal treatment across the board. Caymanians show up in court every single day, and I do mean every single day, with more than a couple ounces of marijuana, and a lot of them walk away with nothing having been um, placed on their record either, and they've been fined. The only difference is because they live here, the court will put some stipulations on why you're not going to have anything recorded. So they're going to, you know, say, go to drug counseling, do one or two courses, you know, why you shouldn't use marijuana and it's still against the law and blah, blah, blah. I can think right now of a young lady who used to work for Cayman 27. She showed up in court, um, charged with marijuana. It was more than a couple ounces, I'll tell you that. Um, and the judge said, listen, you guys are young people. This is your first offense. Uh, you know, hardcore criminals. Um, whatever your position is on marijuana, it's still illegal in this jurisdiction to consume unless you have a medical card, which gives you access to CBD and whatever, right? So if you get caught with it, yes, you're going to get arrested, you're going to get charged, and you have to hire a lawyer, and you're going to go through the process. And tons of, because of alternative sentencing options now, tons of Caymanians have nothing recorded on their record despite having appeared in court and um, charged with and convicted of consumption. So even that is not that unusual, right? So we'll keep an eye on um, the situation. And, you know, if there's anything else that, that raises a, flag, a red flag, Jim says, can we say money, money, money? Money buys everybody privilege, even Caymanians. The Caymanians who have money get a better lawyer and better representation in the penal system, and they're more likely to get away with it than the ones who do not. It's as simple as that. I've gone up against people who had a lot of money, who were claiming defamation, and trust me, they have mil millionaires t multiple times over, right? They spend $25, $30 million on their speedboat that they're going to go out on a Sunday and have fun with. And when they came after me, go, go on the website and read the article I did on this very topic about David and Goliath. But I, despite the fact that I had no money, I still had common sense and the truth. And I simply held my ground. And what were you going to get from me with your million dollar high paid lawyers? My family home that you're going to do what with? But you see, when people are upset because they've been called out for something, Right? They want to file lawsuits and come at you, and that don't have nothing to do with the truth. Because 99.99999% of what Sandy said in the article was true. You're upset of a single quote where somebody called in to question, hmm, is there something else that might have happened here? That's why we end up in court. Stand your ground in the truth, people, no matter what and no matter who you're up against. Millionaires that don't make a difference. Caller, good morning and welcome to the program. I'm Johnny. Yes, sir. It's your boy, Johan. How you doing? Johan Moxham, how are you? All right. Listen, just for the record, mm -hmm. if this isn't a big deal, why did CMR run the story? One. 
You don't what, have to answer what? that now. No, 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 no. Oh, 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 oh. We're gonna answer it. What do you mean if it's not a big deal? We run stories every single day, right? You might think it's a big deal or not a big deal. The fact no. that a celebrity, hold on. The fact that a celebrity was arrested in this country for anything, even if she farted and that was an offense, that would be a story. It's not a question of whether it's a big deal or not. It's a question of whether it is newsworthy and it's a story. And it is newsworthy and it's a story. The reason why I called in, I don't care who smokes what, when, where, whatever. But if we're now comfortable with the process being what this individual has gone through, and good luck to her and, you know, well done for having means and, and, and being able to navigate this thing. But put yourselves, just hypothetically for a second, if this is the standard that the courts and the uh, um, um, law enforcement people are, are, are going to use, um, is that now applicable to everybody? Because if Sandra Hill or Johan Moxham shows No, but up, hold on. Let, let me break it down for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time with you, Johan, because I think this comes down to having an understanding of the legal system when it comes to how you process through the courts. This is okay, not, hold on, hold on. I'm going to answer the question. This is not unusual if you're a traveler coming through this jurisdiction. I've actually seen this before, right? Okay. So someone who is not a resident here is can't be like, oh, give me a court date in five months from now, arrest me now, charge me two weeks later. She's literally in and out on a vacation in a couple of days. So yes, the court system is designed to still hold her accountable for the time period that she's here and deal with these cases and the way in which it did. Okay, that's fine. That makes sense. The logic of her being a visitor and all the rest of it. So we're now saying the precedent is everybody that consumes ganja, who, and let's just be, just be clear, she willfully traveled, knowingly had the ganja in her possession and came through wherever she traveled from to another country and all she got was a $1,000 fine and, and, and all is good and we just move on with our lives, right? You do understand that there's some people, Caymanians, who've been found with more who didn't even pay $1,000. So if you're asking if this is a precedent, I'm telling you the precedent is not being set by her. You have, no, to, you have to look at what the law, hold on. You have to look at what the law calls for, for having in your possession a couple ounces of marijuana. I would not have really expected much more than this from anyone. And I see it in court all the time. Sandra, if I roll up and I travel from anywhere, if I do anything or if you do anything, because you are our version of a celebrity, let's just be clear. Sandra Hill is our version of a Caymanian celebrity. And the way that you have bucked and railed against the system, if you show up at the Cayman Island airport or any port of entry and you've got an ounce, two ounces, three ounces, I guarantee you, you're not getting out in half an hour and you're getting a $1,000 fine. I, I, well, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to disagree with you based on my experiences with the penal system and what I know. I have been arrested. Mind you, they weren't successful in the conviction. But I have been arrested on far more serious things than, than this allegation of two ounces of marijuana. And I was out in no time. They give you bail. That's normal procedure. I've not been, thank God, arrested for anything like murder yet, but even murderers in this country are getting bail. So for her to get yeah, bail I, 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 and, you know, she's held at the detention center for a couple of years, a couple, um, you know, hours and questioned or whatever, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I that's there's nothing unusual about that. I've, I have experienced it myself, so that's why I can say. Sandra, that's I'm not, not I'm unusual. Not I'm not questioning whether it's unusual or not. What I'm saying to you is, I just want to understand as a mm -hmm. law-abiding citizen that this is the process and now everybody can expect to be dealt with in the same professional, courteous, speedy or quick manner to get through the situation and be fined a mere $1,000 for breaking a law. Well, um, I, I think that that's... I think it happens. Let, let, let's put our mind to um, another case. Yesterday I was talking about, ironically, the people who breached COVID, um, that couple with the doctor and the dentist and his wife, right? Um, same thing yeah. happened to them. They were expedited through the system. It went very, very quickly. We've had people come in with firearms. Same thing normally happens. It moves very quickly. Where it doesn't move quickly is where they choose to fight it and they prove, they, they plead not guilty, which then means that there has to be a trial and all this other stuff. Um, yep, Sandra, so, just, just hold on for one second. Sandra, just hold on for one second. That's mm -hmm. a great point that you make. If any Caymanian national, or let's say, God forbid, a Jamaican national mm -hmm. or a Honduranian national travel into the Cayman Islands with three um, firearms, a rifle and high-powered handguns, mm -hmm. I guarantee you they'll be remanded into custody. They're not going to get a chance to work or continue to work in the Cayman Islands, and they will face the full extent of the law. If Johan Moxham or Sandra Hill show up at the airport with illegal guns in our possession, they will deal with us completely different. And I think that's the point that I'm trying to make. We moved on. You're saying but, that. But what listen to me. Th this Hold is on, the let point. Me finish, let, me, let, me, let, me, mm -hmm. let me finish. You've said that the Hadid thing is a normal process. I've never been arrested in my life. God forbid I never want it to happen. But I just wanted to be clear that this is now the standard because now the standard it's not now the standard it has always been the standard okay. that's my point okay so, so so now the canadian russian jewish national that flew into cayman that still gets to go to work that gets bailed that had three um high-powered um, um firearms with him effectively that is now the standard for any caymanian that oh. effectively gets caught with no, 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 no. Let, let's let's back up. Let's back up because you're no, talking no, about no, two no, very no, different. I'm going with this. No, no, no. But no, you're talking. You see where I'm going? No. It's about the standard, Sandra. No, your hand for everybody. Your hand. The standards in law and how you get like bail applications dealt with is based on the nexus of the case, the individual facts in every single case. So hold yeah. on a second now because this is important. We have talked about on this program before. People, including Caymanians and others who've gotten bail, and it's necessary to understand why someone even gets bail, what arguments are put forward, what is bail all about. So bail means that you get to enjoy your quote-unquote freedom until you have your day in court. And there are things that can be put in place. First of all, there is a legal presumption in favor of bail. So what that means is that, that most that. cases, that, yeah. you might get it, but I want to explain it for the benefit of everybody else, so slow down. Most cases, you will be getting bail, no matter what the charge is. Even homicide-related offenses, we see people in this jurisdiction get bail, right? The second thing is, is if they can put proper mechanisms in place to ensure that you're not a flight risk or you're not interfering with witnesses, again, the presumption of bail works in your favor. So the prosecution has to argue against a bail application and they have to bring, bring very, very strong arguments for the court to consider for you to not be granted bail. 
In most of these cases where you see people being granted bail, it is because the prosecution has no objection. Because in law, they know that they do not have a real ground to stand on. So even with this guy now that you're talking about, this Canadian guy who purposely brought in, although he was told not to bring any weapons, his application was turned down, he still brought them in. Remember a very important thing. He is still innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, as is everybody else. The second thing is the prosecution may not have said very much against a bail application because they're going to confiscate his multiple passports. He's not a flight risk. He's not going anywhere. His defense attorney would have argued, well, he's already got a business set up here. He's in the economic zone. He has a lot invested here. His wife is here. Um, you know, there's no witnesses for him to interfere with because he doesn't know the customs officers personally, blah, blah, blah. So why shouldn't he get bail? That is how the court operates when it comes to bail applications. And everyone in this country, I keep telling y'all, Make a point, folks, of going to court because sitting on the outside and thinking you know what happens in the court process in the courthouses, you would be very, very shocked. Take, take a day out of your year. Go to the courts. Sit down and listen and understand how the process works. I have seen numerous Sandra. bail applications. So I, when people get out, let me finish. When people get out here in Cayman, Caymanians, who have killed somebody on the roads, who have taken somebody's life in a homicide, and they get bail, right? Remember the little fat guy there, excuse my, my non-politically correct term, the little chubby guy, whatever, um, who owns that bar in Smith Road? That dude is out on bail, and he has a firearm offense, a firearm charge. He's out on bail. Kurt Monroe, he's out on bail. Rapists, child molesters get bail every single day. So all I'm saying to you is there is a presumption in favor of bail. It's unusual for a person to not get bail. Having said that, I don't see in most cases, looking at the exact facts of the case, any sort of prejudiceness from the judiciary when it comes to even a bail application. And that's from my experience of sitting there all the time. No, listen, you are well-versed in dealing with the judiciary, dealing with the DPP's office and, 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 and the whole nine yards. I think you're the heavyweight champion of taking on um, um, or being charged for various offenses. A lot of us can't relate to that. But all I'm saying is, let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. Do you think a double standard when it comes to law enforcement and the judiciary exists and, the, and, and, and when you're before the courts, exist in the Cayman Islands. Is it a simple yes or no? It's not. It's never a simple yes or no. Sandra, okay, stop. It is okay, never okay. Just, a just simple yes or no. Sandra, if I show up and fly into Cayman with three guns, having asked for permission to do so, I don't have a license and I do that, I guarantee you they're building another wing at Northward for somebody like me just to make an example. They can build a bigger wing for somebody like you. They're going to build a bigger but wing. But Johan, we have to wait. We have to let this no, play out. No, no, no. But you, you would be, you would be out in bail. Yeah, but you would be out in bail, and you'd be awaiting your day in court. We're not talking about bail. We're talking about the process, Sandra. But the My process has is, just begun. If you're going to allow, if you're going to allow somebody from abroad to benefit from whatever, whatever the standard is. My only point and reason for calling is that same standard needs to apply to every single Caymanian 
of it doesn't matter what color, size, shape, or class you come from. Because in Cayman, there are three different standards. There's a standard for us, mm-hmm. there's a standard for them, and then there's a standard for people that have super means. And I don't want to live in a country whereby whereby I do something wrong mm-hmm. and I am made an example of and I've never done anything bad in my life. I've never broken any law whatsoever. But yet you got hardened people that have criminal intent and malicious intent who basically they just get to do whatever they want and it's okay. So all I'm saying is we mm-hmm. as people need to understand and as Caymanians, listen, this system is not geared to be fair to us because there are multiple examples whereby somebody from abroad or somebody that doesn't, that is different, okay? And it's different in the way of color, class, and, 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 and who your mama is and where you work and all the rest of it. And all I'm saying is, that is a road to chaos if Caymanians in the Cayman Islands are held to a different standard from everybody else that comes here. If I have, you know who my boss is, you know who my missus is. Let's say I have a domestic issue at all with her. I guarantee you I'm getting fired from my job and I'm not picking up another job in my field of choice because I would be somebody that is seen as bad. Yet, how many domestic issues that you have from um, top white-collar professionals and everything is A-OK and they're just able to move on. I'm talking about the double standards that exist and Caymanians in particular, in particular, never seem to get the same benefit of those um, fluid standards. And that's why I called in because, Sandy, if you don't have consistency... Well, you have to... Let's talk about consistency in applying the rules when it comes to Caymanians. So why is it that someone like a um, Mario Rankin, for example, can have so many friggin' DUIs and still out there driving around in fast cars and crashing them, doing whatever the hell he wants? And he's a Cayman. Not between you and Mario. No, 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 no. This is a question about consistency. This is a question of consistency. Consistency does not. Bring it in, You talking about Mario? Because it does not matter. No, it doesn't matter. Like, come on, I love you. It's still a DUI. It's, 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 you're talking about consistency. So the consistency in the court system is you get a slap on the wrist for a lot of BS, regardless of who you are. That's what is consistent. Okay. That the penal okay. system not matter. working. I, I do not, from my experiences, no. let, let me say this. From my experiences, when it comes to judges, right? I think the judges are fair with the guidelines and the laws that they have to deal with. If we want to talk about consistency, look at the number of Caymanian and Caribbean people right here in the Cayman Islands, Caymanians, Jamaicans, Hondurans, molesting people, children, and get a fucking slap on the wrist. We're no longer on air, so I can tell you the cold hard truth now. They get a slap on the wrist. That is is consistently bad, but that doesn't have anything to do with the prejudicial nature of the judiciary. That has to do with what they have to work with. The laws are just slack in that area. The legislators need to move in and tighten the laws. That's my point. So your uh, your your, your calls of you know consistency, consistency. in the judiciary yep. doesn't have anything to do with some who the person is as much as it has to do with the offense, the nature of the offense, and the details. 
And yes, if you have a good lawyer, I mean, I'm not going to say Richard Barton, I know QC or KC or whatever, but if you can pay for a decent lawyer, you do have better access to certain defenses. I, 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 moved, I, moved, I moved past the Hadid um, situation a long time ago. I'm talking but, about the standard, and I'm grateful but that the real I, anti-standard I am, up now. No, no, no. I am convinced that in 99% of the cases that go through the penal system, they are handled fairly given all of the circumstances. The police are completely different. The DPP's office who choose who to charge and not to charge is different. I'm talking about the courts. Okay? No, no, Sunday, Sunday. So don't Sunday, confuse it. The, the, the no, DPP, no, no, but the process, process has different arms to it. So the DPP's yeah, the office, listen very uh -huh. carefully, the DPP's office has the decision-making power and whether to charge an individual or not. Judges have nothing to do with that. Do we I think? Do I think that? Do I think that that is tainted and biased? Yes, the DPP's yeah. office a thousand percent has people in there that might have a bone to pick with you, and so that process is more likely to be tainted and biased. But when you get the the case to the court, those biases, those prejudices, those you know, you've gone against my rights. You can challenge them in a court of law. Just like the police, when they arrested me and did it the wrong way with a warrant, went to some little old man who does not even read warrants, had no idea what he was signing. I sued the, the police. I sued the Cayman Islands government and the judiciary agreed with me. This was an unlawful arrest. Oh, okay. So no, I'm, I'm trying I'm, to I'm say gonna... the judicial system by and large works. Okay. I was talking about the process. You've narrowed it down to the judiciary, but hopefully the DPPs. But office the process the is much bigger than you know what I'm saying. The police. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Yes, I, I'm, I'm, with you. I'm completely, you. I'm completely on board that our police officers are woefully unqualified. They didn't, they wouldn't know a law if it bit them in the rear end. So I don't know how they can be putting together files, investigating, and passing it on. So they need more help than anybody else. Because they no, will call Adi. you and try to forward cases. That I'm like, why you why you pick up the phone calling me? Get off my damn phone. No, Auntie Sandy, I just want to thank you for taking the time and for being your true self and helping us all understand that the process really and truly is not as equitable and fair to everybody because this thing and most things in Cayman are based on who you are, where you're from, who your mama is, what you look like, and all of those other things that you really have no control of. And that was the only point that I was making. There needs to be consistency across the board in all of those things because Caymanians should be afforded the same privileges and benefits that those that come here that seem to get away with whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want. That's my only point. Have a great day, madam. Talk Thank to you, you very much. Um, so, folks, you know, uh, I'm not here to <laughs> defend anybody or anything but the truth, okay? I stand by my position that most times the judiciary gets it right. If it's a jury situation, I've told you this, juries have a knack for getting it wrong. That's because they're, they're people. They're me and you. They don't understand the law. They're flawed. Oh, they don't like somebody. This is where the, the, the guest earlier was talking about our unconscious biases, right? People have unconscious biases every single day. Some of y'all are not going to like somebody because they're white. And automatically, well, they must have did something wrong because they're white. And somebody else, they might have done something wrong because they're black. 
these, this is part of human nature. Judges tend to be a lot of times a little bit more balanced than that. But you know what? You always have the right of appeal. And they'll tell you that, hey, this is my decision. You're going to pay this fine. You're going to do this. If you don't like it, then you can appeal it to another court and have another pair of eyes look at it. And if you don't like their decision, you might be able to appeal it a little bit higher as well. So there are um, sort of safeguards in place, right? To protect people. The system is never equal. Let me be very, very clear. There is a reason why someone is innocent until proven guilty. The reason why the courts go out of their way to say that they're going to protect the rights of the individual versus the rights of the state. Because historically, the state, in the name of all sorts of foolishness, has gone out of their way to strip good citizens of their rights. So you always get the benefit of the doubt in court. If you've never been in a penal system before, and you've never done anything wrong, that's one of the things that works in your favor. The judge is going to be like, this has been an upstanding citizen. Why, why am I going to make an assumption against this person? Unless you have evidence. That's why the details of a case are important. And those are the things that the judges want to hear. So you guys know I've talked about my experiences over the years, folks, and there have been a lot of them. And I've told you I've won every single case except that last one, and we're going to appeal that because that was poor legal representation. I have represented myself. Even before now, Chief Justice Margaret Ramsey, Chief Justice, yes. Um, at the time, she was the chief magistrate. There was a criminal case for destruction of property, whatever, because I was a tenant in a retail space. On the instruction of my landlord, by the way, I started taking stuff out. They changed their mind a month later and said, no, don't take anything out. And I gave them the middle finger and said, F you. I don't care. I'm going to continue doing what you originally said to do. So they called the police. Yes, they're white Jamaicans. Of course, the police, being who they are, started asking me questions like, oh, can we see your contract? I said, step back, officer. You want to see my contract? Are you a contract lawyer now? What the hell are you doing getting involved in civil matters? This is, when, when Johan talks about the unfairness, this is what we need to talk about, details like this. Why are you getting involved in civil matters? I'm not taking any more calls because I need to wrap up the show. I've got an appointment. I said, why are you getting involved in civil matters? Oh, but Miss Sandy, I said, no, no, no. Go get a law degree and then come back to me talking foolishness about why you need to see my contract. Have I broken any laws here? Have I breached anything? Oh, well, we just want to maintain the peace. I said, nobody's breaching the peace, officer. You know, at that point, they were pissed off at me. So they trumped up charges, but all property damages and that. The fools over at the DPP's office furthered this case and said, yeah, charge her. When it went to court, they lost. Do you know why they lost? Because I was able to find in my legal research a court of appeal case that was very, very similar in the factual nexus of what we're dealing with. Landlord and tenant situation, right? And the court case said at the time, I'd have to go research it, try and find it back because I don't even know which case it was, but it said in a situation because it was an electrician guy and he pulled, pulled out all these electrical wires and he's like, no, you damage your property. It said that even if, setting the contract aside, even if the person technically destroyed the property, if there was a mistaken belief that they had the right to do so, then no criminal offense has been committed. I said, look at my contract. I have the email. 
Y'all have to look at the facts. I presented the email to uh, Magistrate uh, Ramsey. The email said, "Take every, put the unit back because you got it. I got an empty shell, which means that if I wanted to, I could have jackhammered up my very tile and I pointed out to the judge as magistrate at the time, as other tenants had, other tenants jackhammered up their tile. I didn't do that. I put in baseboards. I put thousands of dollars into that unit, right? And the judge said, oh, really? Others have jackhammered up there? I said, they sure have. They pulled up carpet. I said, I was the longest tenant in that building at the time. So I've seen tenants come and go. So I knew exactly what was going on. Every question the prosecution was putting to them, Oh, well, no, Miss Sandy, this not. And I said, excuse me, on cross-examination, you actually got that wrong, didn't you? Because when I moved in, you didn't have a property manager. It wasn't Miss Sally. It was your youngest son's girlfriend that was the property manager, moonlighting as a property manager. Oh, yeah, it was her. At one point, you know what Judge uh, Magistrate Ramsey said? But, but Sandy, you seem to know more and remember more what happened seven, eight years ago when you first moved in. The entire case turned on the facts of what I was able to show, the evidence. They're claiming that, oh, they put the fire extinguisher in there. And so since I took it out, I stole their fire extinguisher. I said, really? That's funny because I can produce my receipts to show that I paid for it. I can produce my receipts to show that I put in the paper towel holder and all these other things because all I got was a shell of a unit. Huh? How are you going to put in those things for me? And so the case was thrown out. The judge said, this is ridiculous. Let's throw, throw this case out. I believe that in most instances, the judiciary gets it right. Even at the grand court level. I have been to grand court. I challenged the police on an unlawful arrest. The judge, poor him, he's like, mm, we're here again. I did it on my own. The prosecution was there asking the most ridiculous questions and the judge stopped her and said, ma'am, this is poor, um, look, lawyer. Now she's working in the court system with the courtsman. Anyway, she was DPP at the time. He said, um, madam, are you sure that this line of questioning is really helping your case? She was undermining her own witness. She called, Right the little old man who signed my warrant and put to him questions and read this paragraph, poor little thing, could barely read, had no understanding of the word. She's like, well, explain what this word means. He couldn't explain it. And the judge was like, you think this is how, he, he stopped her for real. Her um, Chief Justice Henderson, uh, not Chief Justice, um, Justice Henderson said, miss, do you actually think that this line of questioning is helping your case? Because you're demonstrating that your key witness does not even know the document that he's signing and what it means and understands it. And she was like, uh, um, um, eh, eh. So I got up and asked one single question. You want to talk about firing one shot that is deadly? I said, sir, we heard the prosecution ask you all these questions demonstrating that you don't, you don't really know what's going on. You're signing documents. You say the police come to you all the time. You have no clue. You don't know what the word means and a document that you're signing. Let me ask you a question. How long did you say you were a JP for? Oh, um, like about 25, 30 years. I said, okay. 
I said in 25 and 30 years, how many search warrants would you say you've come across? Oh, probably thousands. They're always coming to me. Always harassing me, poor him. Always harassing me, coming to me. All hours, night and day. I said, okay. I said, of the thousands of search warrants or hundreds of search warrants or whatever it is that you have signed, how many have you declined or refused to sign? None. The judge mount drop open. Justice Henderson asked the question again that I had just asked. Excuse me? In 20 odd years, you have never refused to sign a search warrant for the police? No. Boom. Mic drop. Case done. You know why they were selecting him? If we want to talk about prejudicial operating and, and justice not being for one and for all, start with the police. That's where y'all need to start with. That's who starts the process and who targets people unfairly. That's who you should have a beef with your hand. Them. Hmm? Start with them. Because they do what's called in law forum shopping. They go around and they pick purposely JPs who don't have a clue who have no understanding of the law, who are not going to ask any questions. Because, oh, by the way, I followed up and said, you've never denied a search warrant? I was like, huh. Have you ever questioned the police about the merits of a search warrant? Provide you additional evidence? No. He is a type, he's a perfect person for the police. He won't even question them. So when they bring a search warrant to them, they know it is, to him, they know it is a rubber stamping exercise. Yeah? That is why they chose him all these years for thousands of search warrants. Because they know. This little, little man don't know what's going on. Nice little guy, nice enough, whatever. He shouldn't be signing a search warrant. But he is going to rubber stamp every single one and don't ask the police a single question about why they're issuing it, the evidence, if they have reasonable doubt, if they have this, nothing. He's never even asked them a single question. From that moment, the judge looked at Miss um, Lookloy and said, are you sure you want to proceed with this case? I'm going to encourage you to pause this case and go away and think about your position. Uh, oh, but my clients, he said, hold on. I'm educating you all today about the judicial system and how it does operate fairly. He said, hold on a second. Now he read into her. He said, who are your clients? Um, the RCIPS. So you're the lawyer. This is what judge said to her. Yeah. I mean, I felt bad for her that day as a Caymanian. I had to put my head down. Right? He said, you are a lawyer. And you're going to let your clients instruct you on the law? You're going to let the police tell you the so-called senior you know, counsel in the AG's office, you're going to let them direct you on whether or not you have an arguable case. They are not the lawyers. You are. You should be instructing your clients, not the other way around. She had to grow a little gumption in that moment because it was not a good feeling for Justice Henderson to be making you feel this little, questioning your legal knowledge and understanding. Why are you making the police tell you what to do? It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be the other way around. Go back. And I guess at that moment, she must have made a little phone call to Sam Bulge and said, boy, Sam, you know, I think we just lost this case, you know. 
saying they put this one in the bag because the judge said X, Y, Z. They came back after lunch and said, okay, we concede that we don't have an arguable position. They never had an arguable position. And the judge knew that because months before, he looked at the preliminary documents and said to them, are you sure you have an arguable case? That's what he said to her in court. And I don't know if she didn't take that back to Sam Bulgin or whoever the hell is in the AG's office trying to run the show. But they still proceeded with it and then tried to delay the process. And the court said, when they tried to delay the process, I said, hold on. Oh, I'm busy. I'm doing elections office stuff. And I said, I don't care about that. I'm a busy woman too. And I don't want this mess hanging over my head. I have a life to try and live. And the court said, oh, but you can't just delay court proceedings unless the other party agrees. They sent it in as though it was a matter of fact. And I stood up and said in an email, I said, no, no, no. I don't want this delay. And the judge said, hmm, you can't do this. You say when you don't speak up in life, people will run all over you. I didn't know the procedurally that they couldn't delay it unless I agreed. Because even the way in which they sent it in, it was like, oh, this is no big deal. We're going to delay it. Like a matter of fact, we're going to ask for a new date. And I emailed the court and I objected. And the court said, you mean to tell me you're sending this in and you never spoke to her? You never got her permission? The procedures of the court, which are in the grand court rules, say that you must acquire the, the, um, the agreement of the other party to delay proceedings. And you've not done so, so no, we're not going to delay it. He said, I don't care if you are also an elector, if you work for the elections office. You should have thought about that before you took the case. You told about that too. Manage your time better. Why are we going to penalize uh, Ms. Katron at the time? Why are we going to penalize her because of your lack of time management skills? He said, I don't really care about that. You better figure it out or get another lawyer to handle it. So I'm going to be fair and impartial and balanced and go to bat for the judiciary here this morning because, like I said, I have experienced more of it than most of you ever will. And you should thank your lucky stars for that. It's not perfect. But I believe that most of the judges and the justices are there doing the best with what they have to work with. There are procedures in place. There's a rule book by which they operate. Service of documents, 14 days. You know, you got to respond in this amount of time, this, this, and this. Right now, I'm in the process of appealing the one conviction I have, right? I need court documents. I was going back and forth with the grand court. Oh, no, we can't give that to you. You've made enough of an argument. When I got up before the court of appeal, they know I'm representing myself. I said, this is the reason why I need some of the transcripts. Because they say, boy, it's a lot to give you all the transcripts. I'm like, okay. They agreed. Give her two days worth of transcripts so that she can further her legal position. She can put her legal arguments together. They gave me a deadline to do it by. I said, listen, I see the deadline, but without the documents, I still can't do it. Because all now the court, I hope somebody from court listening, because all now I've not gotten those transcripts. And I want to get this over with. I don't want to be here 10 years later still doing this damn case. Right? So the transcripts, I'm still waiting on those. And I, I said, please advise the court that I cannot submit my grounds of appeal without those transcripts. 
And they came back and says, we will give you an extension. All I'm saying is, unless you know for a fact, and you can really pinpoint where somebody has been unfair, where you can, you know, again, look at all the facts and say a judge is prejudicial, or they've done this, or they've done that. Don't just advance these arguments that everybody out there is operating under an umbrella of being prejudiced and unfair. Because I don't think that that's by and large true of the court system at all. And that is speaking from personal experience, as well as my observations of seeing other people in the penal system. Yeah? When we talk about sentencing being unfair, don't put that on the judges. Go back to your elected officials and tell them to amend the legislation to have it make sense, especially when it comes to these child molesters and these predators, these sexual predators. On that note, folks, I got stuff to do. Uh, some of us have to make a living. Um, here's someone who connected to the judiciary. They said the following. The nature of the offense, but also the circumstances of the offense and the offender make a difference. Otherwise, everybody would get the same sentence, and that would not be fair as everybody's circumstances are different, broadly speaking. We don't give the same sentence to a 17-year-old as we would give to a 37-year-old, for example or a first-time offender, the same sentence as a hard-back criminal. Just say. And that's true. And that's where they want to know things about you. You know, you've been in the penal system before, you've been charged before, you've been convicted before, all these things matter. And yet, they give a lot, in my opinion, of leeway and concessions where they can. They're human beings, too. I looked at this case with a lot of interest with um, Canova Watson and Bruce Blake. Mm-hmm. Chief Justice Margaret Ramsey Hale, I think that was the last case that she dealt with before becoming, before being appointed a Chief Justice. I, or was she already Chief Justice at the time of sentencing? But anyway, you know, she they were on bail and she continued to let them have bail so they could spend the Christmas with their families and this and that. And, you know, um, even when she had to sentence them, she's taken into consideration. Poor Bruce Blake, his wife just had a baby, you know? He didn't gain any pecuniary advantage from the situation. So I think we the point I want to make, and then we'll wrap this up, is don't always presume that there is prejudice for an individual just because they're a celebrity or just because there is white privilege or that they're white. I'm looking for the evidence. I want to see the evidence. And then we take it from there. On one final note, um, we have the story of, um, what's her name? Hadid, Gigi, now making, thanks to CMR's uh, publication. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. It's now on TMZ. So TMZ now has the story. Um, Pop, what's somebody just send me a screenshot from this celebrity news site called Pop. Pop Base now has the story. They're not giving little CMR no credit, but that's okay. We know who broke the story, and it was Cayman Mall Road. Our position on reporting is simple as this. It's not, as Johan says, it's a big deal. It's not about it being a big deal. We report on everybody, no matter who you are, right? You little kid down the street, we got a reason to report on you, we're going to report on you. So don't feel special or lack thereof, because we report on you. Tomorrow, for example, I want us to talk about um, 
gosh, it just it just left my mind. There's some there's some reporting that we're gonna do anyway. It'll come to me by tomorrow <laughs> that we need we need to touch on. And that, once again, is going to demonstrate how we're just trying to be fair over here. Oh, yes, the, the, the man who self-harmed himself, um, and I'm going to talk about that, explain that, you know, apparently some of his family members are like, oh, Sandy knows, that's why she reporting on this. You need to understand how this works. It's not about whether I know you. It's not about whether, whether I like you or who your mama is or nothing like that. None of that matters to me. A lot of times, I don't even know who the person is. I reported the story and had no idea who the person was. That's blind. I report blindly. I'm just reporting the facts. It shouldn't matter who the person is. On that note, tomorrow we're going to talk about the heat wave and a couple of things. Here's, here's Gigi. Had having herself a little of time. Yes, Trying to get them hips moving like Caribbean people, bless their little hearts. Enjoying some karaoke at Bobo Jeff. Uh huh. Yes, girl. All right. Having a good time. Hanging out with some locals, bless her little heart. Um, on that note, let us soak in the words of uh, Malcolm X. Didn't agree with everything he had to say, but this quote, this should be our motto here on CMR. I'm for truth, no matter who tells it. I'm for justice, no matter who it is for or against. I'm a human being, first and foremost, and as such, I'm for whoever and whatever benefits humanity as a whole. Peace out, my beautiful people. See y'all tomorrow morning. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7.30 a.m. Never miss an episode again. Watch anytime on CMR's Facebook and YouTube channels for the latest show episodes. Don't forget to follow us online on our social media channels and visit CaymanMarlRoad.com for all the latest news and community happenings. 